Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast looking at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. I'm Darren. And I'm Andrew. And this week we're discussing because, well, this was supposed to be an episode that would mark the uh, release of Captain Marvel, Marvel's latest cinematic effort, on the 9th of March. But I'm afraid this has become a much more somber occasion, Andrew. I'm afraid we're, we're marking a, a recent passing. Uh, very, very dear passing. This is an, an in-memorandum episode of the 250. Oh! Yeah. Oreo the raccoon passed away a couple of weeks ago. Um, Oreo was the raccoon that served as the model for Rocket Raccoon in Guardians of the Galaxy, the episode that we're covering this week. He lived to the age of 10. Uh, he is survived by his mate Mimi. Um, he apparently lived a very rich and full life as far as raccoons go. Um, not only... Rich and full Oreo. Yes. Are Rich, we, we, creamy center. Are we going to have a minute's silence? Just to, to a mark minute's the... awkward silence. <laughs> for uh, for uh, Oreo the raccoon. And to get some room tone. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so the uh, just to read the room a bit. But yeah, Oreo, Oreo passed away a couple of days ago, actually, just as we were recording this, which is an interesting sort of bookend to this. He served as a model for like the design of, of Rocket the Raccoon. Obviously, Rocket the Raccoon was played... On set by Sean Gunn, director James Gunn's brother, voiced by Bradley Cooper, but the the actual raccoon that served as a basis uh, was Oreo. And Oreo was actually, um, and again, this sounds like I'm being facetious, I'm not. Oreo was actually involved in a lot of charity work as well. Um, Oreo and Friends uh, was actually the primary use of the raccoon. He was a very friendly raccoon, particularly as far as raccoons go. They're notoriously prickly, aggressive, oh. and comfort. Oh, <laughs> okay, let's not stereotype here. But the yeah. raccoons are not generally known. The hell, be... Darren! I I know. I mean, why 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 we up? have to bring those those, those sorts of um, generalizations into this at all? Well, because I was going to talk about Oreo and Friends, which was the charity uh, that he sort of fronted, which was basically animal therapy. He was the sort of show animal for it. He was the most friendly animal that they had on staff, and. He apparently got on very well with others. There's a lot of people who have very fond memories of animal therapy using Oreo. It's actually a very sweet story. That's why I brought up that that story, that sort of generalization. No, I I I I appreciated that you wanted to say something nice about Oreo. <laughs> Maybe you didn't intend to slam other raccoons quite so much. But unfortunately, that's where we are. So yeah, we are talking. There, 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 there be there. I'm 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 in favor of this. Even though this is an edited podcast, I think there should be things that um that get us in the news for all the wrong reasons and that you 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 have to release a statement explaining that I what I, what I really meant to say when I was talking about uh, Oreo the raccoon. Yeah. Well, a lot of people are going to be like it's an edited podcast, so he could have removed this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we're, we're here today to talk about James Gunn's 2014 Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, which is one of the, actually, one of the few Marvel movies to have real holding power on the list. It's been on the list basically on and off since it was released in 2014. It's been off uh, for about a year, came back in in 2017, bounced out, been back since about mid-2018. So that's staying power. <laughs> Relatively speaking, as far as these things go, We've talked about this in the podcast before. Generally, when a new Marvel movie is released, it comes into the list, like Thor Ragnarok, Deadpool, Deadpool 2, and then very quickly drops off Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, uh, even Winter Soldier, which was released around the same time as this. They come into the list, they tend to drop out, and they're never really sort of spoken of again. 
So relatively speaking, I mean, even the original Avengers kind of came into the list and then dropped off and was never heard of again. It's kind of interesting to have Guardians of the Galaxy as a film that's sort of like been in and out, but consistently and sort of it's been in for longer than it's been out, which yeah. is kind of interesting, I think. No, it would be well, it, it would it would be great to do a movie that isn't going to jump off the list. <laughs> <laughs> Two and a half years into the podcast, fatigue finally sets in. Uh, but yeah, no. So I feel like I had that from the very beginning. <laughs> that wariness. Yeah. But yeah, so th- let's talk a little bit about this. Because um, this is the weekend that Marvel's releasing um, Captain Marvel, which is their first female-led sort of superhero movie. It's actually written by um, the writer who is actually credited on Guardians of the Galaxy, um, who is, sorry, Nicole Perlman. Um, and actually, the, the genesis of, of sort of Guardians of the Galaxy was that it was... Nicole Perman was working as an intern in Marvel in 2009. Uh, she was offered her choice of projects to develop as a writer, and Marvel would basically look at the work, assess it, and determine if it needed to carry on. Among the projects... That's an intern. That's an intern, yeah. Yeah. She was said, uh, is it normal for, for, for writing interns to be... To actually write like, blockbuster? Given, yeah, it's like... Um, all right, are you um, are you okay to to write um, maybe a major uh, motion picture property? We're looking at around one hundred and eighty million budget. I mean, it's probably going to be stars attack. Big. What director. is there? What is and, what, and, and what is there to... in it for me? Exposure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now get the coffee, please. Um, but yeah, so obviously, like the implication was that if the script wasn't particularly good, they just throw it out. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. She was offered a number of properties to choose from as part of the assignment. She chose Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, which was deemed to be a bit of an off-kilter choice because nobody had heard of Guardians of the Galaxy. Marvel were impressed enough with her treatment that they were happy to push forward with it. They announced at uh, Comic-Con in 2010 that one of their big movies coming up will be Guardians of the Galaxy. And that was a bit of a surprise because nobody in 2010 had heard of Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Well, like a lot of the Marvel um universe it's, well, it's kind of it kind of uh, either 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 stuff that people have heard very little of yeah are are, are things that people may be somewhat a, 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 a aware of but not have any great kind of affection for yeah i mean like there's a certain name recognition that goes with things like captain america iron man and thor well especially because, now yeah but yeah. i mean even back then there was a little bit of it because i mean captain america Outside of being a dining chain in Ireland, it would have had. He had a movie in the early '90s starring Ronnie Cox, which was terrible—a Roger Corman movie. Thor is like a Norse god, so you have that stuff carrying over. Admittedly, this wasn't the A team stuff or the A level stuff, but yeah, sorry. Um, but there was a certain amount of like name recognition, even outside of like stuff like so. Spider Man, they couldn't do. Um, they couldn't do like X Men stuff like that because yeah, all that's those. That's what I mean. Like that's the stuff that. Yeah, I mean, we've spoken about this yeah. before, but it, it, for me, it's it's not at all unusual that 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 they took a punt on Guardians of the Galaxy, taking into account how how much they were able to do with these recognizable but not um, big um, kind of yeah, yeah yeah they they were they were able to add a lot of recognition to these comic book characters like Iron Man and Thor and Captain America that were very, um, that had very little kind of cachet. I mean, Hulk was the one that, that, um, that people knew, I guess, more than, than the rest of them. Yeah. 
And I mean, and even even that, like he was produced at Universal and stuff like that as well. But I mean, yeah, it, it I do think though that like Guardians was seen at the time at least as being one of those big punts. Because again, you got to keep in mind that even though Marvel again today are probably one of the biggest studios working, they're part of Disney, which is the biggest studio working. Uh, but I mean, even in terms of like everything that they do turns to gold. There was a time, and again, Guardians arrived in two thousand fourteen, so it was six years after Iron Man. But it arrived at a time where people were still a little skeptical of, like, all the stuff that Marvel could do. Like, you had people who were constantly like, well, you can't possibly make all of these superheroes come together in Avengers directed by Josh Whedon. There's no way that could logistically work. And then it logistically works. There's like, oh my god, you can't make a movie where a talking raccoon is one of, like, the five primary characters. And then, guess what they do? They're like, wow, you can't make an Ant-Man movie that will be directed by Edgar Wright... And, and then they're they kind of right on that one. Yeah, I think that, you know, but I mean, three out of four, two out of three ain't bad. Yeah, like whether they, whether they, um, wh- whether they could make a movie with a talking raccoon in it is, is not to say whether they should make <laughs> a, a movie with a talking raccoon Thank in you, it. Jeff Goldblum. Um, but yeah, no, because it, it, it was seen as being a thing, like, again, while people were familiar with the brands of, say, Captain America, Iron Man, Hulk. Guardians of the Galaxy was an unknown property at the time, relatively speaking, and people didn't have any idea what it was going to be. And more than that, the studio took a big punt in terms of the director as well. The director announced in 2012 was James Gunn, whose primary uh, work was maybe not what you would expect for a superhero blockbuster director. And I mean, obviously, Christopher Nolan's work at sort of uh, over at Warner Brothers had sort of paved the way for a generation of indie movie directors to move out of the indie mainstream in out of the indie market. And into, like, directing blockbusters. I'm thinking, for example, of, like, Denis Villeneuve, who's now directing stuff like Blade Runner 2049 and the Dune remake. But even stuff like, for example... That's coming up in March. (laughs) Um, Blade Runner 2049. Okay. But Um, we're we're, we're recording this very... um, Very uh, far in advance. Yes, yeah. But, I mean, but again, like, you, you have, like, this standardized narrative of people who are indie film directors moving into directing blockbuster films... But even by those... So th- people not uh, coming fully formed yeah. as uh, blockbuster filmmakers, right? But, okay, but not necessarily so, growing like, gradually go- through mid-budget films and stuff like that. Not kind of, you know, evolving in the way that, say, Tony Scott would have, Ridley Scott would have, where you would have done a couple of low-tier studio films before jumping up to being like, well, now you're in charge of a summer tentpole. Now it's like, well, you shot this handheld... It's always a big jump. It is always a big jump. Be- because, like, the- these... The, these kind of blockbusters, there isn't really kind of... There's a big gap between the the the, the blockbuster and every other kind of movie. Yes, there is indeed. There's like a $100 million budget jump at the very least. Um, and in many cases, it's like $180 million if you're moving from a small indie film. But even by those standards, James Gunn was a bit of a punt. Because he was not... Like, if you look at, say, the directors that Marvel had chosen to do their first run of films. You're looking at people like, say, John Favreau, who had done, like, again, critically respected sort of, like, indie films along the lines of Swingers, Made, that sort of thing. Kenneth Branagh, who had worked in the studio system during the 90s and so was a relatively known... That was strange, though. Um, Favreau. It's like, he's made Swingers. <laughs> he's done Made as well. I think, like, it's just a natural progression. For him to do Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man. Uh, but even even stuff like, for example, uh, Joe Johnson, who had done Jurassic Park 3 doing Captain America 
Or even Joss Whedon, who, like, again, he'd worked in television, but he'd done stuff like Serenity, which, while not being a massive box office success, had proved that he had done, like, the work and could work with that budget and balancing a cast of personalities. We had some Nathan Fillion in this movie. We did indeed, because Fillion is actually a long-term collaborator of Gunn. Uh, Gunn, again, this is the thing with Gunn, where Gunn was such a such a, a risk, and, and ironically turned out to be too much of a risk, given how his association with Marvel ended. Yeah, I, I mean, he, he, he might... He, at, at, at the time, he may not have done very many movies, movies, but it's it's not all just movies. It's also kind of like you have to think about their... Social media and those sorts of things matter these days. And, and he was on top of that stuff, let me yeah, tell you. Yeah, yeah. Um, a popular presence online. Yeah, very engaged with fandom and, and on the hot button issues of the time. Very carefully curated Twitter timeline. I mean, he was aware of these things before people were. We probably shouldn't joke about this stuff. But yeah, I mean, Gunn... But the thing with Gunn is that he was a grindhouse director. He'd worked with Troma, which was, you know, famous for doing oh, wow. schlock. Yeah. Yeah, have, have you have have you seen any? Um, I have not seen any trauma. I I have. I I saw um, Poultry Geist. I think it was uh, <laughs> it was called. It was about kind of it. It's an absolutely um, disgusting. Um, <laughs> Just poor, to be clear, yeah. poor taste. Like 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 um, a, 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 a lot a lot of it kind of um, for laughs, but just just really um, yeah, it's. It's it's definitely an interesting one for 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 some of our listeners to check out, and there are dozens of movies like that. Yes, there are indeed. Like I think all it was called Poultry Geist. Yeah, all yeah. the Toxic Avengers movies and stuff like that. That's where James Gunn got his start, and that's it's a lot of yes, and a lot of gore, a lot of excrement. Of, I bet, yeah, I sorry, uh, yeah, I I I I may have said something that was uh, uh, bleeped. But that um, is literally what it is. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, and it, and it is, it's schlocky, it's exploitative, <laughs> and it's trashy. And it's it's disgusting from what I understand. Again, I haven't seen it. I just know. It's kind of great. But like, <laughs> I don't, I don't know if I could, um, if I could watch much more of it. Yeah. Certainly interesting. And, and that's it. And again, so that, that was an interesting choice for Marvel when they were making this movie. And you got to keep in mind that this came at a time when, as a studio, they were kind of courting more adventurous directors. You had stuff like they were doing, they wanted Edgar Wright's Ant-Man. They wanted it so bad and they waited quite a while for him to deliver that. They sort of, at this point, they were sort of experimenting with becoming sort of an, an auteur blockbuster studio where they were taking chances and punts. Now, after this, they became a bit more conservative. They started hiring directors from television. I mean, Thor The Dark World was directed by uh, one of the directors of Game of Thrones. Captain America The Winter Soldier was directed by two guys who worked on Community. Um, that sort of stuff. It became sort of a bit more the the Captain Marvel movie that's out this weekend is from the the uh, a team that were responsible for Mississippi Grind, which is great, but who are also known primarily for honing their skills on uh, prestige television. So like James Gunn was a bit of a punt for Marvel doing this. So again, you have this team of characters who are largely unknown. It's this... never really a punt, though. Like, because there's always kind of Kevin Feig, isn't it? Yeah. Kind of um... behind the scenes. Yeah. Sort of managing these things, and again, it's not like they have complete uh, freedom. Yeah, sort yeah. of like they're gambling. They don't it's have not... free reign. Yeah, it's not as if like you were going to get the Toxic Avenger, but on a hundred and eighty million dollars, that was never going to happen. Uh, but yeah, so basically Gunn took the characters under his wing. He rewrote the script. There was some actually disputes with the WGA about the script. Uh, he claimed that he completely rewrote the script from scratch. 
Nicole Perlman, dis- Perlman disputed this. They had to go to the WGA and get it sort of properly um, arbitrated. Writers Guild of America? Yep. Sorry, apologies. Yeah, for, for listeners, the Writers Guild of America. And, and get that arbitrated. But um, again, Gunn claimed that he was responsible for a lot of the more iconic elements of the script. Stuff like, for example, the Walkman, the soundtrack, some of the characterization. But what's interesting is that despite the fact that, you know, and I mean, you're, you're right. He wrote all of those songs. I mean, yeah, he traveled back in time, seeded them in the 70s, and then just waited for them to bloom. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the thing is that, like, as much as you're, you're right that Marvel would never let anybody turn in something that would turn them into a laughing stock. Marvel would never release something similar to, say, Super Mario Brothers or the Avengers from the 90s or Batman and Robin because they maintain too tight a control of the kind of production line. What was the Avengers from the 90s? This was the one with Ray Fiennes and Uma Thurman. Oh, I'm just thinking in terms right, of bad sorry. movies. Yeah, I'm just thinking in terms of like bad movies, the way that movies used to be not, bad in the 90s. Not, not, not a 90s version of well, uh, the Avengers Assemble. No, no, no. Right. Um, but like they'd never let that happen. You were entirely right about that. But at the same time, they would let something out that would be soulless and sort of empty like Thor The Dark World. Um, it's probably the worst Marvel movie that has been released and that came out a few months before uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. What's remarkable about Guardians of the Galaxy is that it turned out to be a complete success. It was the third highest grossing movie of 2014. Uh, it is frequently ranked among the best movies in like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the best movies that Marvel has ever produced. It's arguably uh, one of the most influential blockbusters of the 2010s. I mean, even just look at the soundtrack and the way that that's filtered through into other films, but even like the, the way in which, say, this, imp- this sort of influenced the development of like Suicide Squad over at Warner Brothers where you had that sort of interest in this kind of band of misfits secondary characters brought together with a kick-ass soundtrack and hoping that that would be enough to make a film. That sort of stuff. And it's it's remarkable. But, like, I assume you... Very influential. Yeah, I know. You're responsible for suicides. But, you know, Gunn is directing... Yeah, like, how, how far is that influence <laughs> going to carry um, if, beyond... if the result of it was Suicide Squad? Well, you know that James Gunn is directing, uh, or is, he's writing the new Suicide Squad and he may be directing it. I thought he was cancelled. Um, no, he was fired from from Disney after those tweets came out when he was member of, when he was you know part of Troma. Well, Warner Brothers have no such <laughs> no such qualms apparently. Yeah, uh, I mean if if um <laughs> like uh the the funny thing about like the um the hor- horrible stuff on Twitter had had. Had people seen any of his movies? Yeah, I know that's from, it. Like he's from, a trauma. Like, from 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 those times. Yeah. Like I'd, I um I I I think if like like they could have really plumbed the <laughs> you know it's the John Mulaney thing where he he's talking about like if if um um if a lot of the things I said were ever were ever brought up in court he he had um he had a friend who um, had a dispute with his neighbor over some kind of um, uh, freehold lease or um, like a management company or something like that. Um, And he said, oh, by the way, the court have subpoenaed the emails in between us and and you were mentioned and and you should be concerned because one of your messages was like, hey, how's that dispute going with your neighbor? You should kill him. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I'll kill him for you. (laughs) 
But yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing where we live in a world where everything that we say is recorded and stored, and there's absolutely no way that it will come I'm back. I'm aware to of this, us. Sarah. Um, I know. <laughs> we are literally recording this as we speak. Um, we, you're literally being recorded <laughs> as you're recorded by yeah. your house. Yes, my, I, I have a Google Home and stuff like that. Um, no big deal whatsoever. No big deal whatsoever. And it totally doesn't give you a creepy answer when you ask if it's listening to you. Um, not at all evasive. But I mean, th- but again, the thing is that, yeah, so, so Gunn tweeted out these things in, in the, yeah, I think it was around 2010. Uh, he apologized for them in 2012. They came out again in 2018 because 2018 was a nightmare of a year. Uh, Disney fired him without any real uh, sort of hearing. They just immediately, within hours of uh, Michael Cernovich bringing them this information to light, uh, he was fired. Um, the cast of Guardians, actually, and this is interesting. I think this speaks to Gone as a director and perhaps what he did on Guardians that was so effective. The cast of Guardians all immediately rallied around Gone despite the media storm. And despite the fact that the subject of the tweets included stuff like pedophilia uh, and necrophilia and all sorts of other deeply, deeply unpleasant things. And it's amazing that that sort of loyalty exists. I mean, again, you have people like Bradley Cooper, who was at the time in the middle of a race for, like, he thought he was competing for the Best Director Oscar. And that was the kind of thing that you imagine might cast a bit of controversy over him. And he was coming forward and arguing in favour of Gunn, which is remarkable for, you know, again, Bradley Cooper, who seems to take himself very seriously as an artist, is standing by the guy who directed him as a talking CGI raccoon, Dave Batista, who is somebody who I gained a huge amount of respect for because of how candid he was in sort of standing by Gunn and the loyalty that he showed as well. Um, and again, well, apparently... I, like, how how can you not like um, Dave Batista? Well, I suppose he's um, not, not, not a perfect character either, but um, he, he even kind of... Seems like the sort of guy who's um, quite like aware of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. That. Um, I. I quite like Dave Bautista. I I like him a lot too. I, I mean, I always I kind of I had a soft spot without needing more reasons, to... the more surrounding context for it. Um, but yeah, so let, let's talk a little bit about Guardians of the Galaxy. Do you remember when you first saw it? Did you see it on release in twenty fourteen? Mm, no, I th- I think. Um... I think I might have seen it after I was hearing the um, the soundtrack, kind of being 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 played at kind of various parties and stuff. This is back when I still went to parties. Um, we are so old. Yeah, we had a realization of how old we were um, on Friday night, where I was like, "Hey, it's Friday night. We don't have anything to do tomorrow. We're not recording." What do you want to do, Darren? What, what do we do? We can do anything. We've the... the uh, and, uh, <laughs> and I, being the super cool person that I was, was like, let's sleep. Sleep is good. I would like to sleep. When you say let's sleep... Um, <laughs> Just yeah. those words. No other ones. No. no I, I, <laughs> I think you said, I would like to go home to bed. And I was like, I would also like to go home to bed. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, and yeah, it was that crushing realization of having, having, having lost our 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 Elan or Joie de Vivre, um, um, feeling feeling like old old men. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So I mean, uh, but again, like, and it's worth noting that the soundtrack to Guardians of the Galaxy was the first soundtrack in history to top the Billboard Top 100 album charts in America without an original song on it. 
Wow. Which is quite an accomplishment. It gives the sort of level of impact that the film had. And I mean, it's kind of interesting. I mean, obviously, like, you go back and you look at films, like, say, by people like Martin Scorsese, uh, for example, would always have had these sort of soundtracks that were drawn kind of with relatively deep cuts or broad cuts from sort of, like, music history. Period pieces, like even, say, Forrest Gump from the 90s, would have had a rich sampling of songs that people liked from the 70s and 80s and stuff. And other sorts of films would have, like, Gardens didn't invent the retro soundtrack, but it kind of, I think, popularized it to a certain extent, I think. Do we, do we, do we want to talk a bit um, about Gone um, b- b- before, before the spoiler zone? Because it's got nothing to do with the movie. Yes. Like, that, um, because... A lot of people were um, resistant to kind of uh, being part of the outrage mob or supporting the kind of cancelling of James Gunn because of where the um, where 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 this campaign um, yeah came from. But as 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 far as I'm aware, it was elements of the alt right who decided to uh, to take him down. By by holding him to the same standards that they considered, um, uh, people was, on the left would go after. It was in response people to on Roseanne the right Barr. Right. Was, so yeah. like the issue was Roseanne Barr tweeted out in real time um, very racist slurs about people uh, comparing African American uh, prominent African American figures to gorillas uh, and blaming that on uh, sleep medication. And refusing to apologize for the tweets outside of saying, well, I was on sleeping medication, so it's not my fault. And well, what happened there, is, I mean, there, yeah. there's, there, there's a lot online of uh, kind of people um, uh, discussing Roseanne Barr yeah. and her um, uh, kind of reaction to it. And I think her going on, um, what's it called, uh, Joe Rogan. To um to talk about it eventually and 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 all of those sorts of things. So I I, I suppose like we we could say a lot about that, but, but it's already been said. Um, but yeah, and then, and then basically as a result of that, it was uh Cernovich, uh Michael Cernovich, the uh alt right provocateur leader, um sort of key figure anyway, uh unearthed these tweets uh from Gunn from two thousand and ten, which right. to be entirely clear. Gunn had already apologized for, had taken ownership or of in two thousand and twelve. It's so- funny though because the the same um, the same thing was said of um, I know Kevin Hart's tweets were very different, but it, 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 they um, they were a similar kind of a vintage and something I think that he had already spoken about and had 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 apologized for. But the reaction to to heart was quite different from the reaction to gun in terms of the kind of uh, the 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 culture wars. I, I, Obviously, what he said was quite yeah. uh, quite different. But I also I, not again. I don't want to pretend to be an expert in this. But what I know of gun is I've actually read gun's apology. I've read his apology statement from two thousand twelve. I've seen the apology tweets in which he basically says, "Look, I'm going to leave them up there. I'm explaining why I'm leaving them up there because I'm not trying to hide them." I am ashamed of them. I wouldn't make the jokes now. I was immature. I was trying to grab attention. I was wrong. I caused hurt. And I take responsibility for that. The issue with heart, as far as I'm aware, and again, this is, again, I've just I've just been Googling it. So it may be out there and I, I can't find it. And like maybe other people that I've been talking to or engaging with, maybe yeah, they can't I'm, find I mean, it either. The, 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 issue, the, the, the issue with heart is that heart has said he's apologized for them. Nobody can find that apology. That's the issue. Like the issue is that you can find 
the jokes and the tweets and the remarks, what he's what he was saying now when he went on Ellen DeGeneres, but also when the whole thing came up in the video message with the Academy, was that he had already accounted for and apologized for those remarks in right. the past. I couldn't find... Now, again, I'm not a net detective, um, but I just went looking for the actual text of the apology. I couldn't find it. And and that's what's... That's, that's I think, I suspect what the difference is, but I don't know. Um, I wonder. Like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I'm, I'm convinced that... Um... That all of the, I think a lot of the reason why James Gunn was so supported was was just because of the source of the controversy. The people were uncomfortable um, being um, aligned with, say, yeah, Cernovich. which uh, which 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 they didn't have to be. Just I I I think was Cernovich's whole um, strategy in in unearthing this is that oh the, um, you. You peep, um, you've cancelled Roseanne Barr. Um, uh, look at James Gunn. Um, now, now apply the same, um, the same logic, which is what, which is what Disney did. I think, I think there were, there were, there was, um, there was maybe resistance to that um, among kind of like people online and on Twitter because, um, I suppose they, they, they felt like their own sort of um uh modus operandi had been um hijacked i mean like look i i can see a certain logic in that and again it's disney's business who they hire and fire and you should argue that they could have should have done the check beforehand i imagine that they did and i imagine that at the time they deemed the 2012 apology to be enough the the issue for me at least and again disney have every right to fire him people have every right to be offended by it is that that's not an equivalence between what Barr was doing. Doesn't doesn't have to be an equivalence. You're not like saying, um, well, uh, uh, Roseanne Barr was um, um, uh, sent these uh, sent these tweets, and you fired her. James Gunn sent the exact same tweets. Um, it, it 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 it's. I mean to to. To what to what extent it's an exact equivalence or not is not um um at issue. It's 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 what sort what what sort of like like there 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 are a lot of differences between them, but the 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 the, the question is kind of how substantive those things are. And for me, at least, and again, you know, you're how how offended you are by those tweets, and I'm offended by them. They are disgusting. Like they are. I don't think they're funny, which is the biggest problem with jokes. But they're also crass, offensive, and all that sort of stuff. But like any are... any of these tweets, yeah. But they are not like it's very clear reading them that they are not advocating for like actual pedophilia. Yeah, you know, it's very clear that Gunn is being funny in inverted commas, whereas Barr is not. Well, but Barr Barr says I wasn't being racist. I did I I was I. I didn't um um like she 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 has claimed that they were kind of um anyway sorry and I'm not I'm not going I'm not going to defend Barr but that's the kind of the the um uh they're not they're not indefensible because she and others have tried to um uh, defend them and there are a lot of people kind of uh, who support her now I'm not one of them. I don't I, 
I don't even care. Yeah. About like I I wasn't going to watch your show anyway. Um but I, I'm 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 just I'm 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 skeptical about whether um whether the the differences that people cite between the case of James Gunn and uh and the case of others, whether 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 the differences that they cite are the important differences or not. So okay. whether whether it's kind of um Oh, well, it's different to Roseanne because she's tweeting now versus when she was tweeting then. Um, and, and it's different. Oh, um, but Kevin Hart's tweets were, were, were also back then. But we have other reasons why they're different. Okay. Um, like they, be, 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 um, be, be, because, because he's, he, um, he claims he's, he's, he's apologized, but we don't. We don't think he has. Well, there's no I actual d- evidence. I mean, and it would be very easy to say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that and I was wrong. Like, that that's the issue, is that, like, Gunn has said. And when they came up again and again, like, his position was, well, look, it's Disney's business if they want to fire me. And I completely understand that. I understand why people are angry about these. I apologize for them in 2012. Here's the link to it. I apologize for them again today. I said I shouldn't have sent them in 2012. Now, in 2018, I say, yeah, I shouldn't have sent them now as well. And I'm not just saying that because they're coming to light and I'm being punished for it. I actually have a history of saying this in the past, of recognizing that I made a mistake and taking ownership of it. There's a, like, that's a fundamental difference, at least to me. And again, you know, I don't, I understand entirely why Disney fired him. I understand the, like, the logistics of something like that. I understand yeah, the way... People the were very upset that, 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 that he had been, that he had been fired because he's kind of, one of him, yeah. you know. Also, it's, also it's, because it's, he, it's, he had apologized. Like that's that's the thing is that like, and again, people talk about like outrage mobs online and the idea of like, can you ever not, be no, forgiven? Sorry, it's it's uh, it's not it's not enough. Um, generally, in these cases, to apologize. Well, I think to apologize consistently. No, like, they, they, when 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 is that? Um, when is that enough um, online? The rebuke to that is, um, why does it always have to be our job to 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 educate and inform you? Um, you should you should have you should have known known these things. To come now and start apologizing after the fact is, um, is 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 not going to uh, uh, yeah. save you. You know. And and you and I would agree that that is an absurd point, but at the same time. When you do apologize properly and thoroughly. And again, this is the thing where you have like Louis C.K., where Louis C.K., you know, masturbated in front of people without their consent, got called out on it, got shamed publicly. He but issued a lot of a, people, no, no, a lot of people wanted to defend him as well. Yeah, he issued an apology. And people were like, okay, it's actually it, like maybe he means it. And it was only when he came out afterwards and showed no evidence that he had actually changed or that he had. <laughs> in fact, showed evidence that he had changed in the other direction, that people were like, yeah, maybe, maybe this is not a good thing. Well, but like a lot of people on kind of uh, comedians who were generally on Twitter beyond the left kind of have, have and, and um, so like um, su- supportive of, of, of the Me Too gen- uh, movement in general have, have, have tried to defend um louis ck for no reason other than um i mean they give the same reasons um uh that 
um, that are given for lots of other people when they try to defend it. You, you say either it was a long time ago or they're very apologetic about it. But the real reason they're like defending him is because they're, he's, he, he's one of them. They're, they're, they're friends of his. And I, I would say to that, like, I think there is a substantive difference between, again, this is the case of gum. And again, it's right. If you're outraged by that, that's fine. They are disgusting tweets. I think that's fine and acceptable. And I understand why Disney acted in the way that they did and particularly why they acted so quickly. Again, I would argue that maybe they should have done this checking before they brought him on board. I presume they probably did, knowing how good like the legal department it's is not, there. But the, my my point is, it's it, it's got nothing to do with those considerations. It's to do. Shouldn't it? It. I'm saying it doesn't. Okay. The 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 the, the, re, the reason people are defending Gunn is because they 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 have a kinship with him that they don't have with other um, people who have been accused of these sorts of things. Okay. So it's 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 kind of pick, picking and choosing, which 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 is, and 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 some of it kind of uh, some some of the defenses of 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 these people kind of puts that kind of um, at the forefront. It's when people commenting kind of um, have these ad hoc rationalizations for why he gets a free pass, because a lot of the people who will who will defend um, these characters will say, "Listen, I know James." Um, I know how sorry he is, um, and 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 um, like I I I I I have to be I have to be loyal to him because he's a he's my friend, which is more honest than like a lot of the kind of commentary online by people who don't know these people who still want to kind of defend them, is um, well it's different, um, because be, uh, uh, because because of some. Um, uh, entirely impartial reason. Okay, but like you're making the assumption that like the difference outlined is not a substantive difference or shouldn't be a substantive. No, difference. because you take you take that difference and then you apply it to somebody who hasn't been um been saved because of that um very the uh, that 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 reason that you take to be so so. So important. Okay, well, let, and, let's, and, let's and, apply and, like and Star then... Desi says to this, right? So let's assume that, like, doing it in the past and apologizing consistently, thoroughly, and having evidence of that, and arguing that you've changed and people think that you've changed since you made those tweets. Give me an example of a person who did that, who has that evidence in their back pocket, who has been refused apart from gun because of their political ideology. There's gun for for. I know gun. Gun is like that. Yeah. 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 But aside from gun, say, like that's the thing. You're arguing that gun shouldn't be forgiven, despite me. No, I'm not arguing that he shouldn't be forgiven. I'm arguing that people are deciding who they're going to forgive and who they're not going to forgive, and that it's based based upon kind of uh, being being told who are the people that 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 are good and get away with this sort of thing, and who are the people who aren't. I don't think that's fair. Like, I mean, again, you're looking at, like, you want to pick an example, like Harvey Weinstein was a huge, say, Democratic donor. He contributed hugely to, say, the Clinton campaign and stuff like that. And he was not protected because of his political views. Now, again, that's, like, the whale of the case like I think this. he was protected. He was protected for years. And it is, like, um, people will, um, um, I, I, I think, 
like Rose McGowan, for example, has been quite critical of people who have defended yeah. him or people who have said nothing about him. People um, like the the um, there was um, a lot being said about, I think, Meryl Streep, for example. Um, yeah. Yeah. That that and and. Well, I mean, like the history it, of the like, You can't and stuff you like that. can't bring um, Harvey Weinstein up as an example of a monster who wasn't defended and supported and enabled by by Since by, the, by the people around him. Since this sea change, though, like again, you're talking about like the sea change, the outrage mobs, the idea that Cernovich was weaponizing something that had been weaponized against Barr. That's again, that's a post 2017, 2018. That's a post you describe it as a Me Too moment, a post Time's Up moment. That's like when you're starting from. That's like the clock point. It's the point at which, like, yeah, you're right. People didn't call Hart uh, Weinstein out. People didn't call Allen out. Polanski had that horrible letter that was written and signed by people like Natalie Portman, people like Meryl Streep, and that's unforgivable, right? But at the same time, we can change and grow, and I think that now, particularly like people like Portman, who are like, hey, I made a mistake, I was wrong, I shouldn't have done it, I shouldn't have signed that, I apologize entirely for any hurt that I've caused. And I think, I, you know, I can forgive people like Portman that because she was like 12 when she did it, and stuff like that, and she acknowledges that she was wrong, and that she shouldn't have done it, and again... I tend to, uh, maybe, maybe it's not my benefit that I have to give in this case. Like, again, maybe it's not, I'm not the one who has to accept these apologies. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not arguing over whether he should be forgiven or not. I'm, 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 I'm just saying that, that, that there's a, that there's a kind of a, a picking and choosing, um, that, 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 that people do. And it, like, it's, it's, it, it, it can, it can be very, it can be very sort of apparent and there are reasons for it, but yeah. it, I, 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 I think people need to be sincere and kind of bite the bullet when, when, about what those reasons are. Okay, and I mean again, like you're, you're right that there are cases like that. Like look at the Democratic Party, where the Democratic Party is constantly caught up in these sort of battles with people like Weiner, for example. People who are caught up in these, these scandals and these implications, the blackface scandal that's currently taking place, I think, in Virginia, that sort of stuff that's dividing, like, the political... Well, the anti-Semitism in the... In Labour it, Party in the UK. Yeah. At the same time, again, and again, while I'm stressing, hey, you're fine to be outraged or upset by this, and hey, Disney are perfectly within their rights to terminate their contract with them, at the same time, I would argue that Gunn is a fundamentally different case, not because he's one of the quote-unquote good guys or on the quote-unquote right side, but because his case is different, because he has apologised, consistently has apologised, has taken ownership of this. Like, again, you're talking about a climate where people like Woody Allen are suing Amazon for, like, refusing... About 86 to... million, I think, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's an absurd amount. But again, like, that's... It shows what... kind of how much... Amazon were investing in the Woody Allen business. Yeah, that's it exactly. But don't worry, that's just what they spent at Sundance. Um, but again, like you, where you have that sort of climate taking up and people like refusing to acknowledge what they did, you have guns saying, look, I did it. I was wrong. I wouldn't do it again. I'm ashamed of it. I hurt people. It's my fault. Yeah, uh, and again, I mean, I, I, I don't think people should be cancelled because, because of these things at all. There were tweets. Like I I I understand um, Disney is kind of building um, an empire on sort of family friendly values yeah, and yeah. stuff and presenting an image of itself. So like I get why why they're kind of 
shareholders or brand might be kind of impacted by these sorts of things. We're talking about adults here. Yeah. Like, and again, nobody really, you could argue that nobody really cares about like who directs a Guardians of the Galaxy film. Like again, I don't necessarily have a strong horse in this race and that I understand if you are outraged, I understand why Disney did what they did. Right. I do think there is a fundamental difference. Now, whether or not that fundamental difference should have saved Gunn or whatever, I don't know, but I think it's a valid yeah, and, point to make. But I, I feel like the cast who, who who kind of make the argument that it comes from and this is this is something that 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 is perfectly kind of acceptable to listen to, is that the, this is a this is a cast who feel who feel like a family kind of around around gun and have that huge kind of sense of 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 loyalty and fondness um uh to him and i i i i think that's the 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 main reason why why they're they're um uh, defending this person and i th- i think people like um those people people like chris pratt and uh oh, by the way it's a, it's a is a practicing Catholic. He attends sort of a very conservative church. And again, for him to come out in support of Gunn was again, a huge risk and a huge sort of gesture, I think on his part. Like, I mean, it, it that, that's the sort of thing that seems like a move of character to me. You know? I don't yeah. Know. Yeah. Like, like, and it, it's, it's a lot of people who know Gunn want, I, I suppose, want to reassure other people that this, 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 this is not, this is not the the James Gunn uh, we know. We want to kind of uh, show how much kind of support we have for him, right. which is fine. I'm uh, like uh, totally kind of willing willing to listen to that. It, yeah, it's right. it, it, yeah. Like uh, I, I I suppose yeah. My position is, our your your position is that it's it's the the important thing is 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 that what he did was different. My uh, position is that that's more kind of a, a post talk. Well, I mean, again, I'm not even saying that that's the important thing. Because, again, I've pointed out repeatedly, like, you can be offended by them. And you can think that people can't change. And you can think that, you know, these things are unforgivable. Maybe they're marked in stone or whatever. Um, and Disney, again, I understand why they fired him. And they were contractually, obli- you know, they're contractually able to fire him. And therefore, you know, again... No real moral judgment. Again, it's not like he's losing money. It's not like he's going to prison. It's not like he's suffering. He's writing the new Suicide Squad, possibly directing the new Suicide Squad. James Gunn will be fine. My argument is that, like, whether or not you should or whether or not he should be affected, I think it is different. I think this case is different than other cases. And that's, you know... But anyway, that's... And I think that that difference is a matter of character. Like... I think, I think a, a lot of that difference comes different. from wanting to defend him. Oh, right. Like if 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 you want James Gunn to be different, you can you can you can find enough differences. Um, but uh, uh, sorry, maybe that's not fair. Anyway, yeah, anyway, I, so- I, I I I I do regret saying let's talk about James Gunn. <laughs> Apologies. Do um, we want to talk about James Gunn? Do we want maybe to talk about Guardians of the Galaxy? Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Well, now luckily we've got all that stuff out of the way though, so let's talk about Guardians of the Galaxy a bit. Andrew, do you think that this movie right here, which is the longest lasting Marvel Cinematic Universe movie on the top 250 movies of all time, belongs on that list? Um, no, probably not. I mean, it's, um, it's a lot of fun. Um, I, I, I enjoyed it a great deal. 
but um, no, it shouldn't. It shouldn't be on a list of the greatest two hundred fifty greatest two hundred fifty movies ever made. No, not not by not by a long um, way. Would um, it be on your own list? No, no, um, I don't think so. I mean, there, I think there should be a Marvel movie or Marvel movies on this list, considering the um, kind of cultural weight they have. Yeah, but the it kind of it maybe demonstrates. Um, no, I, I, I think the Marvel movies are great. Um, I love Thor Ragnarok. Um, I uh, I quite liked uh, Black Panther. Um, I I think I think. The... I mean, you can hear us talk about Black Panther on our Black Panther episode, right? <laughs> I don't think so. Somehow, <laughs> um, yeah. The the um, and they don't they don't tend to stay in in the list. I also liked um, uh, Doctor Strange, which I don't think even got in. Doctor Strange narrowly missed as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Considering how kind of important they are um, culturally, culturally, they they aren't. I don't think they're considered good enough to 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 be to be on the 250 whether 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 that's right or wrong in all cases i guess um is a matter of taste and opinion but i like i i wouldn't be i wouldn't be strongly um against marvel movies being on the list i don't know if this is one of the candidates for me though well that's what i was gonna say like so like if you are ranking like if you had a favorite marvel movie would this be in your top 10 in your top five like, would this be close to one? Because, I mean, for many people, this would be their favorite Marvel movie. Um, like, I mean, I, I have a lot of friends, for example, who would count it as their favorite Marvel movie. I've got, sort of, you know, a lot of time online, as a lot of digital ink has been spilled on this sort of as their favorite Marvel movie. And, like, if you are right, and maybe you are, that there's an element of a certain amount of defense of James Gunn comes from fondness for him. A large part of that fondness for him is rooted more in this than, say, in his work at Troma beforehand, I imagine. Like, this is a movie that is generally, you know, sort of regarded as being one of the best Marvel movies. Would it be for you? Um, it's possible it would be in towards the end of a top five. Like, I, I, I feel like um, it's been a while since I've seen the um, the Avengers Assemble. Is that what it's called? Over here it is, yes. Marvel's, Marvel's Avengers, Avengers Assemble. Avengers 2012, baby. 2012. Um... I think I think that's um, possibly in the in in the top five from what I can remember of it. Um, yeah, it's it would it would it would be difficult because there there. Um, I think the Iron Man movies have been quite good. Particularly um, the third one, I really like the third one. Yeah, um, I obviously quite like Thor Ragnarok. Um, as we've discussed yeah i don't think i don't think i disliked the second thor movie as 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 as, as much, as, much as, I as you did, did. um but um yeah i i think it would be difficult to put this because there's a lot that i like about this movie but also there's there, there are parts that i don't kind of in, enjoy i suppose as much and we'll we'll, we'll, we'll talk about those yeah i time. think if people have listened to the to the um uh, volume two <laughs> episode. We're doing this 
Not in order. Anti-chronologically. Yeah. Um, A-chronologically. But yeah, okay. And then finally, would you recommend that if people haven't seen uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, that they should stop the podcast, watch it, come back and listen to the rest of our discussion? Yeah. Uh, s- uh, stop the podcast if you haven't already. <laughs> this uh, And do watch the movie. It'll be a lot more fun than, than listening to us <laughs> talk about James Gunn. We promise we're done. We promise we're done. Kevin Hart. There will be no, um, uh, yeah. There will be no discussion of the of of. Um, we're 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 going we're, to be a get we're canceling that. Are we going um, to be gun shy? Yeah, we're we're um, we're 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 we're, we're going to be gun shy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. All right, then. Join us on the other side of the spoiler zone. Spoiler zone. I don't know what that was. What character is this? Okay. <laughs> like James Cagney um, in White Heat. No, um. <laughs> Johnny Depp as, um, as the Whitey Bulger. Christmas like... is cancelled. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so. Um, but yeah, so let's, let's talk about this. So, Andrew. Yes. What is darn. Guardians of the Galaxy? Thank you, Andrew. Uh, what is Guardians of the Galaxy about for, for me? You? Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> so um, it's about um, family, um, like so many, like so many movies uh, starring uh, Vin Diesel these days. Yeah, especially starring Vin Diesel. It's about Groot. Um, we yeah. are all Groot. But yeah, no, I, I think I think you're right there. It's very much a movie about family. Yeah. Yeah, and and um, and found family in particular. Yeah, yeah. I think I th- I think um, I don't know what it is. I'm sure you've um, read or written articles about the importance of found family in in 21st century cinema, um, but um, it certainly seems to be a a rich theme a theme for for some reason that is um, like unbeknownst to me. I, I have I have actually no I've thought a great deal about this and I'm trying to figure out what it is particularly about 21st century cinema because obviously like family has always been a big theme in, in film we've talked about like how so many why do I have to have so many kids <laughs> so many movies um, I'm are, playing that piano are about dad stuff uh, in inverted commas uh, but why the 2010s why the 20 why the the 21st century in general because i mean you can trace it back to say the fantastic four movies but yeah particularly superhero movies which tend to be about teams of disparate individuals why those are so fascinating or so engaged with the idea of fan family now as opposed to in say the 90s um, although i mean like you could arguably trace it back to stuff like Mulder and scully in the 90s where you had like the idea that Mulder and Scully were a couple that didn't conform to expectations of what a couple should be you know they were like they were partners uh, in a like in a literal sense, but also in a sense of representing the idea that you didn't have to apply labels like platonic, like boyfriend or girlfriend to them or husband I, and wife, that sort of stuff. Yeah, and it think, was an unusual kind of a, a partnering of a, a, a human male. And a human female. Yeah. Uh, how unconventional was that? But yeah, the what idea... What are you thinking? Like, when you look back... <laughs> what a crazy concept for those kids to have invented. The issue with Mulder and Scully and like the idea of like the 90s is that like when that happened it wasn't even clear that it was happening like when Mulder and Scully had a baby together it wasn't entirely clear for the bones of like oh spoilers I know oh we're in the spoilers yeah for all things 
Um, but yeah, this sort of like dynamic. This Spoiler like... zone. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but yeah, like it's and I wonder if like the idea of found family in in kind of twenty first century films to bring it back to a point is a reflection of how like strange and unconventional like the world is and how we've begun to kind of gradually accept that. So like over the past 20, 30 years, we started to come to terms with things like, for example, gay marriage. Uh, we started to be a bit more accepting of like single parent families. I wasn't certain you'd be able to do this, Darren, but here you are. You're, um... Did, were you actually surprised that I could answer the question that you were asking? Yeah, like I was like, how, 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 how is he going to do this? He's just going to go. Um, can Darren pull this out of his ass? <laughs> Buzzwords. He totally baby. can. But yeah, no, I, I want like the idea that like in this also got to do with um, latchkey, uh, kid. latchkey kids. kids. No, no fault, fault divorces. divorces. The moon landing. <laughs> no, that's seventies stuff. Twenty first century stuff is around the idea that we're accepting that like families Lun- lunchables. <laughs> yeah. Um, and what that means. But the idea that, yeah, the definition, I think, of the 21st century of family has changed fundamentally in terms of, like, we no longer believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. We accept that marriage can be between two men, two women. But we also accept that, like, you can have a long-lasting relationship with a doesn't, partner doesn't that isn't... It doesn't have to be a penis going into a vagina. It can be a vagina going into a vagina. Or a or penis however, going into a penis. However that works. Uh, but, yeah, again, you have this idea that, like, the definition of family has shifted. You have this idea that... And, again, you could argue that there's an element of multiculturalism in there as well because many of the found families particularly in i'm thinking of the fantastic sorry the uh, fast and furious movies but you could also argue even like say the new fantastic four film where john you know where you have like a an african-american johnny storm uh with a white sort of suzanne storm but even, a human with an escavarian <laughs> yeah i mean tentacles everywhere man but yeah you have this idea even even here you have like the idea of you know a white man with a green woman who's played by um, I, I think she's well, that's co- Captain Kirk stuff right there. That is right? Captain Kirk stuff right there, to be fair. But Captain Kirk never really had a long term relationship with any of those green skinned women, to be Do fair. Do we want to have like a wall chart of of like um, STDs in, 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 <laughs> in fiction di- and where where. <laughs> Where do we where do we place Peter Quill? Is uh, relative like, to, to like because he's Kirk. going to other uh, planets. planets. So like himself and Kirk would be um, and probably like Picard. Um, like uh, I guess Riker would probably be Riker's uh, probably above, a bit higher than um, Picard. Yeah, um, Riker but, who famously and, took um, the ship's youngest crew member down to a sex planet and left him unattended so he could get a death sentence just so he could get laid. Yeah. That's a classic Riker move. It's, um, what is it? Uh, the Next Generation yeah. Season 8. Where <laughs> Riker gets infected by a, um, an alien uh, sex demon. No one on board notices. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, but yeah, that would be... And then a- you compare all of those kind of um, STDs to, say, like somebody who operates just on Earth. Yeah. Like James Bond. Like he he is all of the, um, the terrestrial terrestrial all the Terran STDs, STDs as they describe or it TSTDs. Um, but yeah, but I mean, I th- I think that's it. Like I think that that's this, and I mean, like if you look all at the US STDs, Ohio. But if you look at stuff like, say, for example, um, the Fast and Furious movies, where the like the family is very racially and ethnically diverse as well i wonder if that reflects like a benign side of the idea of demographic shift as it's happening in the states because again you had the u.s census come out i think about 10 years ago and announced that by 2047 or 2045 
uh, the United States would not be a minority majority nation in that it would be a it would no longer be a homogenous sort of uh, you know you would assume that American is white anymore because it would be that diverse culturally. And obviously that has led to stuff like the rise of ultranationalism and all this sort of like right-wing paranoia. But I wonder if that, perhaps the benign reflection of that, is the idea of these diverse found families. And I mean, many of the found families that are depicted in fiction, even if you look at stuff like, say, the Mark Wahlberg and Rose Byrne romantic comedy instant family, those families tend to be like blended. They tend to be diverse but yeah, so you have that sort of uh, dynamic at play. And I wonder if maybe that explains why 21st century culture is so interesting in family. It could also be, possibly, uh, because 21st century is wary of engaging politically with big ideas. And family is the safest possible idea that you can hit because family is, you know, so fundamental and universal that you can apply it to absolutely everything. Anybody can relate to a story about family because everybody has a family as opposed to, a, you know, why disenfranchise half of your viewers? Because it seems to be in a lot of these, in a lot of these big kind of political um, uh, schisms in these countries, it's generally roughly around forty-eight, fifty-two. <laughs> what um, could you possibly be thinking of with that? Uh, well, no, all I'm, sorts. Yeah, all yeah. sorts of things. The, the um, but the the um, I suppose if uh, yeah, if you're going to go into politics, you're you you um. You're going to um, risk alienating a significant exactly. portion yeah, of like yeah. people who are attending your movie. Because we and just imagine watching this movie that all of the other people who enjoy this movie are just the same as us and share our viewpoints and that right. sort of stuff. Whereas in in reality, all you have to share is the idea that mass genocide is bad and family is good. It's like film Twitter. <laughs> it's like, yeah, this person follows me. Therefore, I follow I was, them. Therefore, we are identical in our viewpoints. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so there's there's a lot of that going on there. But yeah, I think that's very much what it's about. I think that's very much like, again, if I were to pull it out of my ass, as you eloquently described it, that would be my pet theory for why family is such a big theme here. But again, like, this is the thing where I I wonder if, like, and tying it back to family, I suspect that a large part of why Guardians of the Galaxy is so successful, and particularly why it's so liked, um, is because it's such a simple story at its core. Because, like, a lot of the issues with, say, superhero stories, and particularly, like, as the Marvel... They, they bring in, like, a whole lot of, kind of, characters and planets, Infinity Stones, a whole lot of continuity... Um, references, uh, references in-jokes. Yeah, yes, yeah, stuff to, like, other, like, you times. have to know, like, kind of... Howard the Duck is, um, or yeah. like Thanos, what? all the... And I like chair. that this is just a very simple kind yeah. of... Um, all that uh, stuff is sorry, there. Please explain what you mean and, by that. And all that stuff is an issue, and we're going to talk about that in a second. But in terms of like fundamentally, <laughs> thematically, right? The issue with Guardians of the Galaxy and why, why I like it so much, and I suspect maybe a reason why it resonates so well, is because an issue with a lot of the superhero movies, and we talked about this uh, when we talked about other Marvel movies, is that many of the arcs of, like, traditional superhero movies tend to be, I'm awesome. Why can't you realize how awesome I am? Let me be awesome. Oh, I screwed up, but that's okay, because I'll fix it, possibly by doing the same thing I did that got us into this situation in the first place. Guardians of the Galaxy works well, at least for me, and maybe I'm generalizing. Again, this is the thing where you assume everybody agrees with you. But, like, it works so well for me because it plays as this sort of allegory about family in that, like... At the center of its story, it's well aware of what it is, which is it's a story about a little boy 
coming to terms with the loss of his mother. His refusal to do that and how that loss of his mother, of somebody he cared about, trapped him in a moment where he drifted off literally into space and into fantasy and into this, like, delayed adolescence. Like, it's no coincidence that, like, again, that many of the Marvel movies, including, say, Ant-Man, have done the thing where you do the teaser before you get the Marvel logo. Uh, but I think Guardians of the Galaxy was one of the first, and it's one of the most effective, because it's the scene on Earth, the only scene on Earth in the entire film is the one that comes before the Marvel logo. It's where Peter visits and his dining And the better Marvel logo, yeah. before the updates. Yeah. But where he, they put all the movie stuff in. There. As opposed to the comics, which is, you know, sort of the nostalgia that you I'm particularly kind of nostalgic attached. about the comics. I just think it, it, it there was something kind of, I don't know, uh, better about, about that. But yeah, but like Peter Quill runs out from his mother's deathbed being unable to take her hand. She reaches out and says, take my hand. And he can't do it because he doesn't have the courage within him to do it. He runs out. He disconnects from his family. He drifts off. He finds a spaceship and is literally taken away, taken out of this world in which he lives. And then the Marvel logo appears and the Guardians of the Galaxy music starts playing. And it becomes, again, like, I'm not talking, and again, there's a tendency when we do this stuff to think of like, oh, complicated fan theories, oh, it's all inside his head, oh, it's all fancy. No, no, it, it, it's very much literally happening. But it all feels to me watching it as a metaphor for what it's like for Peter to have never had to come to terms with the loss of his mother. And it's a very simple, very basic arc. And again, it happens throughout the film. Watching it this time, I was struck by how many dead things there are in this colorful, bright universe. Like, the universe is very, you know, it's full of all these, like, bright, shining purples, yellows, day glow, neon, wonderful production design. Again, from the guy who actually designed Darth Vader's helmet was one of the chief production designers and sculptors on this. So it's very much like Star Wars. But at the same time, it's a universe that seems divine, designed by, or defined by death. When you're introduced to Peter as an adult after the Marvel logo... He's crawling through a dead world and he's watching recordings, presumably of the people who lived on this world centuries ago, who are now all dead. They're stuck on playback, much like the tape recorder that he plays, the songs, you know, the awesome mix number one, the awesome mix volume one, is a way of like trapping that feeling of his mother being alive because he can, it's something that she gave him and therefore it's something he can relive and pretend that she's still there. Even stuff like say Nowhere, which is inside the giant disembodied head of this gigantic spacefaring organism throughout. And even things like at the climax... severed head of this... Uh, yeah. a um, celestial. Like, yeah, uh, like a celestial being that we, we, we don't get to see. It, uh, it, it's, it's strange that you have these kind of... Um, like, generally in the Marvel Universe, you, um, you realize that all of these kind of mythological... Um, kind of uh, beings like kind of uh, Thor and Odin um, are are actually there. Uh, yeah, they're like these creatures from another planet. These um, these celestial beings, which sound like kind of you know titans, or yeah, um, would have been created the, by Jack Kirby. So yes, yeah, did did um, like are 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 they still out there somewhere in the Marvel universe, or are they all dead? Yeah. Oh, that that's again that's. Uh, and again, this is the thing where it feels like Star Wars, because it does that thing that Star Wars does, that George Lucas did, where it takes all of these elements and adds them without any real context. So you can imagine and ask those questions off it, which is an interesting approach. And I think it's an interesting approach to take to a comic book property, because it makes the universe feel larger to yeah. a certain extent. Or at least I feel like me. Graham would also be like, like very excited. Yeah. yeah, he'd be like, oh my God, maybe they'll make a Do movie. Do you think like, that was yeah. this thing from, from a comic yeah. book? Yeah. 
Yeah, and I mean, it doesn't have to be, and it, it absolutely is, but it doesn't have to be. Because again, like Star Wars, it's like when you mention, you know, sort of like uh, talking about all these things, or the Kessel Run. You don't need to know what the Kessel Run is. It just sounds interesting. Like these Celestials. It's like, hey, there were these things. They were around. They were very big. We now live inside their severed heads. Um, and it's like, well, okay, I guess that's one way of doing it. But again, like to get to get back to it, though, like that's why Guardians of the Galaxy works for me, because it feels like... It's a story about a child dealing with trauma, which is arguably it's not just about the child. It like he doesn't feel that kind of um, central to to the story, really. I'd say I I I would venture that in the second movie, he is quite um, um, when he's uh, reunited with his father. Yeah, and that and that that movie is a lot more to do with Peter than 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 this one is. And that that maybe makes sense because what you're doing in this movie is you're 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 establishing um, a bunch of a holes. Um, but they're not 100 percent dicks, Andrew. No, <laughs> well, it's like I mean, um, <laughs> trying to kind of think of um, what's the trigger for 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 doing a, a John C. Riley. Oh, that's awesome! No, no, that's <laughs> not <laughs> that's not it. Awesome! Oh, oh. I don't um uh I don't think anyone is one hundred percent of a dick. That's actually quite good. That is okay, that. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's good. Um, we may have actually subbed in a John C. Riley recording there, um, <laughs> but it was very good and very convincing. But yeah, no, like again, but I I think that it is though. I think all of the char- like Peter Quill is your viewpoint character through the film. All the characters are introduced in sort of relationship to him. You have Rocket trying to catch him. You have Gamora trying to steal the orb that he's taken. Um, Drax admittedly then has the connection to Gamora rather than to him, but it's he who negotiates with Drax to get him there, that sort of stuff. But again, I, I think that there's an element of that to it. And it's it, it's interesting because to a certain extent, that's what a large part of comic book movies seem to be. And particularly towards the climax, I was struck rewatching this like five years after the fact at the climax I, I always remember guys and it is a very funny film it's very witty it's very clever it's got a great sense of humor even like the smallest little bits like the 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 um there 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 is a very small role he's one of the uh, uh prisoners um on 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 the kiln who uh, who was taking um gamora to 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 kill her and all of his kind of like encounters um, with, uh, between like um, Gamora and Drax and 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 Peter, like when when uh, Drax kind of takes away the knife, he's like, "Oh, that was, that was my favorite knife." <laughs> um, but uh, like even like his kind of like facial expressions around that, and it's very it's a very well directed kind of comedy uh, yeah. film. There's the there in 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 the very same scene, he's. Um, uh, Peter, Peter is 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 drawing a finger across his neck, and Drax is like, "Why would I draw my finger across the neck?" And he's like, "Oh, it, it's it 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 means that you're going to kill them." And he he, he lifts everybody it knows that everyone knows that you know that, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, no, no." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it, but it's great, and a lot of the stuff, like a lot of the stuff with the all com- that kind of stuff, all, yeah. a lot of the stuff with the comedy of the film works very well, and like I think, like again, I'm somebody who occasionally takes issue with the use of comedy. In most modern blockbusters and, and in Marvel movies, I think Luke Dunn, who's one of our guests, has talked about how a lot of the comedy, he talked about it on our Mission Impossible episode, where a lot of the modern comedy in Marvel movies is like, ha, we made the joke so the internet can't, that sort of thing, which really bugs me. But I like the comedy here because a lot of it, 
seems to derive from character. In that, like, the jokes are funny for different characters in different ways that all speak to who the characters fundamentally are. So, for example, I think of, like, Groot, where the comedy with Groot is this sort of almost juxtaposition between this sweet lumbering giant who gives, like, flowers to little girls and who seems constantly confused by his borderline psychotic raccoon sidekick, but who is also just as equally capable of, like, impaling dozens of guards and splattering them around the wall as if they're like playthings you know who doesn't quite understand the world in which he works you have rocket who's like a lot of his sort of gags rely on things like the well, you you're know. going going on the premise that 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 Groot and rocket are kind of inherently funny um i i i don't think they are like i i i I, I think I've spoken about this on the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy um, Volume 2 Volume 2 um, recording that we had. Um, Rocket Raccoon especially. Like um, they're 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 not they're not good. Um, you mean they're not good people? No, no. They're 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 not good characters. They're 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 tiresome. Um, they're not kind of um compelling in 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 any important way i don't want to follow them i don't care if they live or die that's that's interesting because again like i think the issue one of the issues of the second film is that it's too rocket centric but i like rocket here yeah but th- th- it's more of a problem if you make it rocket centric <laughs> yes yeah um, but I think like, like, like the the, the uh, I'm not going to I'm not going to rehash um, care more about uh, about Rocket if you put him um, at at the center of the movie. You have to first make me care about him. I do quite care about I, Rocket, I, and I think like it it's it's it, it would be touching if 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 it were if 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 it were in like relation. To some um, other character who weren't so inherently unlikable. But it, maybe it's just me. It may I, just be me. I quite like I quite like Rocket as a character, at least in this film. I think the issue with the second one is that it's too Rocket-centric. And so also, it was, it's like Bradley Cooper and Vin Diesel. <laughs> That's a fair point. Yeah. Um, who like, had... uh, um... Yes, who are not necessarily the most likable of, of actors in general. But I mean, there's also like we have a there's a recording of. I'm sorry about it. Like... No, no, there's a recording of Cooper performing the the voice work as Rocket. That is something to behold. He's very, very into it, as you oh, might yeah, imagine. He's like yeah. entirely committed to it. Um, and I, I kind of like. I don't want to come down too hard. Yeah. It's just the way I feel like about yeah. about uh, about these particular characters. I like see the thing with Rocket that I think works well because I love Drax. Yeah. Oh, well, we'll talk about Drax in a second. Yeah. Um, the thing that I like about Rocket here, and particularly as opposed to the second one, is that, again, here he's very much a secondary character. He's less of a primary focal point than he is in the second one, where they split up him and Quill, so he seems more like a mirror of, again, we, like, again, we talked about this a bit in the Spider-Verse podcast, where all of the supporting characters in Spider-Verse are a reflection of Miles. Therefore, and, like, here there's an element of, like, that, where, again, Rocket's standoffish lonerness is like a really mean-spirited version of Quill's sort of jerkish standoffishness, that sort of stuff. But again, it's little things like 
that shot of the back of Rocket when they're getting into the prison uniform, which again, blatantly lifted from the Dark Knight, but where you see the little scars from all the experiments that have been conducted on him, you see the physical that, wounds yeah. from like what, that he's been inflicted on him that, that explain effective. why he's the way that he is. But, uh, like, explain to me a bit more, maybe, about, about kind of the appeal of, of Rocket to me. Uh, to oh, a certain... Billy, oh, Billy. <laughs> Uh, to a certain extent... Obly bobly do. Obly bobly... Sorry. <laughs> Thank you, Michael Rooker. Um, but yeah, okay, fine. Um, we will agree to disagree on the effect no, of No, no, no. I, 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 that, that stuff is... That stuff is all good, but that... And even the stuff like, where he's I, crying in nowhere, where, like, he's, he's talking about how he doesn't like being referred to as rodent yeah. or vermin... And you get a sense of why but it's almost wasted because, uh, like, it, it's it's great, you know that those those moments are are perfect in themselves for establishing kind of um, uh, like why um, we we um, we should care more about um, about Rocket, but it, it it like it's just the kind of un unlikable kind of uh critical mass yeah that, that i like it's difficult to then get you to 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 invest in 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 this character if 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 it hasn't like already and i think in a lot of the marvel movies they're able to do that very well like in in um in the thor movies with the 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 way you can kind of care about um about loki and in 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 Black Black Panther, like being able to Killmonger, to, yeah. to care about uh, about Killmonger, and those are the kind of ostensible villains. villains. Yeah. And they, this is um, kind of um, uh, there's like a different there's a different problem with 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 Groot for me, but but with Rocket Raccoon, he's um, he's kind of one of the heroes, and is un unlikable not in a kind of a lovable way. Um, you know, like like he he's he it he's not um he's he's not this kind of um he just seems like a real scrappy do um to me. You know what I mean? Like and I'm I'm, I'm sure I'm not is the, the only is person. Is it the fact that he's a cute raccoon who's rough mannered and therefore feels like he's tailor designed for the internet to love him? Like, it feels like, you know, Rocket Raccoon was the subject of experiments in a lab to develop a perfect weapon. Rocket Raccoon, Rocket Raccoon was grown in a uh, in a laboratory specifically for the internet to make gifts of him. Is it that sort of quality? When you describe him as a scrappy do, the sense that, like, the film thinks that he's more going to be more popular or expects him to be a breakout character, and therefore... I imagine, I imagine he has been to an extent. Like, I know he's in, he's in I think, like, Marvel versus Capcom and... Yeah. And, and stuff like that. And notably the only member of the Guardians, uh, apart from Nebula, to survive, if Nebula's a member, to survive Infinity War, for example. So he's the one who will be back for um, Endgame next year, you know? Right. So, I mean, like, it's it's very clear Ugh. that people like... <laughs> <laughs> it's always the good ones that die. But yeah, what is, what's your issue with Groot? Okay. Groot is... Um, he's one of... It seems like he's 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 a character where they they sometimes have to slow down the movie, stop everything, play different music, and give Groot a a kind of like 
a magical super powers moment because otherwise who would care about it um, like what like, like, his ability to make photofluorescence sort of glow yeah yeah whereas or like, like when he offers a kid a flower that he grows spontaneously or when yeah. he makes a little sort of cocoon to carry them through the crash that sort of stuff yeah it? all like none 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 of none of that stuff is I mean, what is what is he for if not a? And I love this quote: a personal houseplant slash muscle. Yeah, maybe maybe it comes from me thinking of them being kind of Bradley Cooper and Vin Diesel, Vin Diesel, who like are 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 people that I don't kind of think of 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 of, of having the kind of charisma that I kind of gravitate toward. Yeah, I mean, and again, like I'd be the first to admit, like I was the one on the Star Is Born who I think dunked most recklessly on. Bradley Cooper, um, because again, I don't find Bradley Cooper immensely likable, and a lot of that's due to his off-screen persona. A lot of it is also due to some of his on-screen persona. I think he works very well as Rocket because there's an inherent absurdity in an actor who takes himself that seriously playing a talking raccoon. Right. Um, and, and that, to me, sort of all like carries over and sort of doubles back into making it kind of likable. Like, I like that I... Bradley Cooper... Yeah. Who takes everything far too seriously? Takes playing a talking raccoon in a Marvel movie far too seriously. Like, I mean, I think that if, if he wasn't as intense about it as he clearly is, looking at the video, I'd be like, yeah, this is this is not good. But it's like, wow, this is doubled back to making me almost like him in this context. I think going back to Groot, I think an, another Sorry. an another of the reasons that um I'm kind of. <laughs> not mad about Groot is why is it um Vin Diesel um I I I think you've kind of like explained some of this you've said that like oh he's he's very kind of committed to to this character he's recorded in all of these that was Babu actually on 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 race three yeah Babu made the argument and it's right I did I checked the stats when we pulled this one up and yeah um 15 different languages uh saying I am Groot wow yep um, and again, like this is this is the thing where it's you're worth... so Groot. <laughs> you're so money supermarket. But yeah, the thing, the interesting thing about the what cast. What is that, Darren? I money supermarket. No, okay. They're not a sponsor. Oh, fine. All I said was you're so Groot. Um, oh, I thought you said you're so Groot. No. Okay, sorry. Apologies <laughs> to our non-sponsors. No, um, I'm sorry, Darren, and I'm sorry, listeners. But again, the thing, the thing with. Um, Groot and Rocket that's interesting is that despite the fact that they are who they are and are side characters and are computer generated creatures they're also the biggest stars in the movie when it came out by a significant margin uh, despite the fact that like Zoe Saldana had starred in like Avatar the biggest movie of all time she was not a bankable name of herself Chris Pratt I'm Star Trek how much does it take for uh, Zoe, Zoe Saldana, Saldana to break out it's astonishing yeah it's astonishing that she's not a bigger star than she is um, and it's astonishing that she's, yeah, she's talked about how, like, she still has to, she, like, she works tremendously hard. She's working on these films with these immense budgets that make these immense amounts of money. But at the same time, she's not considered for roles outside of those. Um, and that sort of stuff. Like, again, the, the, the observation that, like, she's possibly one of the most famous, like, dark-skinned actors working today, but her two of her three most famous roles consists of painting her skin an entirely different colour. Um, and I mean, I think I think Saldana does good work here, actually, if you want to pivot to talking about the rest of the cast. 
Like, I think that, like, Gamora isn't necessarily a well-developed character, but I think that Seldana does good work, and that maybe explains why she's given a bit more to do than maybe the rest of the cast in, say, Infinity War. In that, like, she basically gets her own little subplot in Infinity War, and, like, a big character moment where relative, you know, where relatively few characters get that much of a focus. Yeah. And, and I think that's because Seldana is very, very good. Yeah. I think I, I haven't always been convinced about how good she was, but I, I, I think I'm I'm kind of coming around to it, certainly. Uh, but and having I, watched this, I, I, I think she does, she does, she does have great kind of like um, uh, presence on screen. And she's, she's, and one, she, she, she's able to do a lot of things well. Yeah. And she's also very good at being a supporting performer. Like it's, it's very clear in the scenes where she's with Quill that she's supporting Pratt, I think, in that she's well aware that Pratt is very much the focus of their scenes together, I think, to a certain extent. And that's a very generous performance. Yeah. Um, but it, like, I don't think any, um, like, I, 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 I think the characters that are good in this movie are giving something to the, the, the other actors. I think Batista is great. Let's talk about this because Drax. Yeah. So you love Drax. I love Drax. What is it about Drax that you love, Andrew? Um, well, they, they, everything. Yeah, every everything. He's incredible. Like the the he's um he's this big um huge kind of um uh, physical um specimen, but it is is um. Is so kind of um, childlike, naive, and literal-minded, and um, and he he's 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 not even finger the... across throat means death. <laughs> he's like metaphor. No, no, <laughs> nothing goes over my head. <laughs> I would catch it. Um... <laughs> I have fantastic reflexes. <laughs> um, he he's 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 amazing. I I love I love even the small parts of his performance, like when. When Groot um, kills like those ten guards in a kind of a shish kebab sort of a situation, the way he looks at Peter as in like, yeah, this is great. Yeah, Peter's so, horrified, and and Drax is like, yep. The joy that Drax takes in 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 <laughs> charging horror. into yeah. crowds with his knives drawn, murder, <sighs> and yeah, when 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 they're when they're going to war yeah. and like. Um, machine gunning down a whole lot of um, <laughs> soldiers and uh, breaking into a like he, he he really enjoys what he does yeah which is which is great and again like it's worth noting batista this was one of his first big roles this was uh, but again the thing about batista is that a he seems to have taken the work relatively seriously i know for example he hired an acting coach and he sort of took acting classes well, he as takes well. this stuff very he does ser- he takes yeah. it very seriously and it's worth noting by the way that, like, Batista tends to work with great directors a lot. We've covered three separate movies starring him on the list of the top 250 movies of all time. And that's not even that... a, a, a exhaustive, is it? No. Um, and more than that... What were the those three movies? Uh, those three movies were Blade Runner 2049. Um, yes. They were uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and Guardians of the Galaxy. But, like, when directors... <laughs> it's almost like it doesn't count. He's got a two ones in a sequel. He just sort of carried up. So but we it... haven't... Like, he's also in, what, Skyfall? Yes, he was in Skyfall as well, which is another list. Uh, yeah, it's like a. Um, a it's Sorry, not, not really Skyfall. He was in the one after Spectre? Skyfall. Spectre. There we go. Yeah. He was the henchman inspector. But the thing with Batista is. I think he has one line. Yes, if even. Um, <laughs> Does he say. He says. <laughs> but um, the thing with Batista is that, like, even the actors and directors who work with him all speak of, like, his commitment to craft. Yeah. It's worth noting that, like, Denny, Denny Velneuve, the 250s Denny Velneuve. 
Yeah. Hired him for like a small role in Blade Runner 2049 where his job is to throw Ryan Gosling through a wall effectively, right? That's, you know, I mean, and he, he does it very well, but like that's the extent of the part on paper. He's the guy that Ryan Gosling kills in the early moments of the film who's designed to beat Ryan Gosling up so you feel sorry for Ryan Gosling. Villeneuve enjoyed working with Batista so much and found he gave so much to that part. He really did. That he's now playing the role of one of the Harkonnens in Villeneuve's Dune, which is probably like you make the- a great Harkonnen, just as a more that sort of uh, physique, physique, yeah. yeah. But yeah, well, no. more impressive, obviously. <laughs> He's kind of like a um, a twenty first century Raban, <laughs> where it's like. We need an imposing physical presence. What, a fat guy? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what else would I mean? Uh, oh, sorry. I, I, and again, it's worth noting, by the way, in the 250s journey through masculine phys- <laughs> physiology in like the history of cinema, like Guardians of the Galaxy is one of those moments where it's like, remember the schlubby guy from Parks and Recreation? Yes. Yeah, if he's going to be, he's going to be the lead in our movie, yeah? And the lead is going to be like, he's going to be like a spoiled man-child, so like a Judd Adapow character, yep. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> we want him to seem sort of like relatable. Yep. We want him to seem sort of like down to earth. Yep. Uh, so he's going to need a six pack. Um, and he's going to need to look like he was chiseled out of marble. Um, like, yeah, Chris Pratt's transformation is one of the great physical transformations in terms of going from schlub. He went from looking like Darren to looking like Andrew. It was quite an accomplishment. Yeah, there's there, there, there's a lot of kind of reversing the the um, uh, uh, male gaze in this, which you have in a lot of the kind of Marvel movies where we, 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 we get to admire... Shirtless Chris's. Yeah, yeah, which is something that we can talk about at length. Well, I mean, to, um, they, 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 well, to be fair, there, is, there, was, there, there was, was also in 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 this movie a lot of eye candy for for her. Um, there was there was a moment when we were watching the Andrews of this. There was world. a moment when we were watching a film, and during one of the quick cuts during the battle sequence, and just like, whoa, who's that? And I was yeah, like, wait, I, she, the, 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 to to be clear, like the camera wasn't focused on her or anything. No, but, no, but like, but I did know my my immediate response was, wait, did did Andrew spot like a cameo? Is there like an appearance from like a, <laughs> Is a this an important actor, an, an Adam Scott? role here like remember when Am Scott was in Star Trek First Contact is it like we're gonna go back and we're gonna discover oh my god it's like pre-fame Alison Brie or something and I, I didn't realize that Darren uh, I, I believe I had found this out before but keep forgetting that that whatever Darren is playing these movies on doesn't have one of those back 15 seconds functions no it, it goes back three minutes forward four minutes back four <laughs> minutes again and just go with it yeah um, and it was great because when we got to the cut where Andrew had been like Whoa, who's that? I was like, that's Glenn Close. He's like, no, Darren. Next no. to Glenn Close. Uh, and we are talking about the wonderful uh, Michaela Hoover. Yeah. And there, there's, a, there's a certain, there, there's a decent amount of that without it being um, pervy gratuitous, or pervy, or... creepy. Yeah. It would be if I spoke about all of the tasty, tasty. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but I'm not going to. Um <laughs> But uh, yeah, in terms of in terms of other stuff, then um, what about Quill himself? Uh, Quill's great. Quill and uh, Chris Pratt playing Quill, um, I think do do a great job in this movie. I'm not com- I like I haven't seen a, 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 a like a, a lot of the kind of um, I haven't seen any of the big. Um, Chris Pratt movies, kind of outside of this. Really. So say Jurassic World, say Passengers. Yeah. Um, um, so I'm not convinced with him entirely kind of as, um, the, um, 
the the success that 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 he seems that to he have has been. become. But I, I like obviously like a lot of people loved him in Parks and Rec, and I'm a, I'm a, I'm delighted for him and, and the Lego Movie and stuff. Yeah, like that. exactly. But I like I haven't seen um, some of his other movies. I enjoy him a great deal in this. I think he he's a really great energy for this character. Um, he I think he captures it um it quite well there's a kind of a lightness um to 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 his performance that works very well i think he's he's very funny and in in a quite sort of understated way i don't think he's kind of um playing it up in a way that's kind of um cheesy uh, or showboating yeah yeah kind of cringy yeah and like the even kind of down to the um uh the the famous kind of dance off at um, the end of the movie with Ronan yeah I mean like one of the things that I really uh, the, the, R- R- Ronan um, in this movie he's he's a uh, Thor Smurf yeah the, the, <laughs> the, the way the way the way he's um, Thorpa Smurf Thorpa Smurf I don't know I couldn't come up with a witty name off the top of my head what like Papa Smurf but Thor okay fine anyway you were saying about Ronan <laughs> Yeah, did he 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 comes across as a sort of like a torpid smurf. Um, <laughs> That'll yeah. catch on. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, but he, he's he's really not such a bad guy. In fact, we've had Ronan on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, same Ronan. A number of times. He sort of mellowed yeah. out a bit afterwards. He took Absolutely. To his, his opinion on European cinema sort of so, mellowed yeah, don't, a bit. Don't let this movie trick you into, into thinking. thinking that Ronan's not a great guy. Um, yeah, let's talk about Quill for a second before we come back to Ronan. Oh, yeah. One of the things that I like about Quill and the way the movie treats Quill is the way that sort of like repeatedly and consciously humiliates Quill. There's a lot of like the physical comedy resorts from or you know, comes from images of Chris Pratt being like electrocuted, shock tripped over. Like, and again, it's it's not even like when they're in the center of the frame. Again, Gunn is a very good director as well. It's 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 a good but, balance because it, yeah. it, it, it like. You also get across that he's like really um, capable. Yeah. Like he 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 gets pushed into that kind of like um, bag uh, yes. by 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 Groot and Rocket. But then when when Gamora opens the bag, like he kind of shoots out of yeah. it and kind of flies away. But, and like he he manages to be one... really he manages to be this really cool superhero. And also, like, a, 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 a complete jackass. I mean, like, that's the thing, is and that you get shots, like, I'm thinking about that scene where he's bagged. That it's in the background of the shot while Rocket, I think, is doing something else. It's him getting up and running, but almost tripping over the bag as he drags yeah. him with him, which is just a great <laughs> shot. And then Rocket, like, taser zapping him as he does it. Or the bit where he goes to, like, beat up the blue guy who stole his headphones and gets, like, tased on the ground for a good, like, 15 seconds. <laughs> like, what? And, and again, the while way... the music is playing. In the background as well. And but then, like he uh, manages well, to get that guy back in in this, but in 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 this kind of um, heroic scene. But then it's again undercut yeah. by Drax asking, like, "What, what did you, you recover?" Back, yeah. yeah, behold. Um, yeah, but it, 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 you are an imbecile. It's oh. it's it's it's, it's this ter- tremendous kind of balancing act um, that the character and Chris Pratt are able to do um, very well of. Of establishing his kind of heroism and then undercutting it and establishing and undercutting it. Yeah. And you 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 don't necessarily feel kind of 
one way to the exclusion of the other. Well, that's it. As opposed to a lot of the Marvel movies where it feels very clear immediately that the characters are capable of whatever they set out to do. Like, again, Spider-Man Homecoming is one example where, like, watching the movie, you know that Peter is capable of doing everything that he says he's, he, he's going to do and you know that Tony well, Stark is wrong like, to doubt him. Um, you have um, you have Thor, um, where where his 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 kind of powers are taken away, so it's kind of like vainglorious sort of. Um, but but even then, like it's very clear that he's going to get them back. Like again, like he's Thor. Thor is a comedic character, but that comedy doesn't come from his ineptitude; it comes from the fish out of waterness. Whereas with Peter Quill, there's always this sense of like. But with 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 Thor and with Captain America. Like a lot of the 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 kind of um, yeah, humor, yeah, is 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 from them being kind of clueless, yeah, about things. As opposed to, but again, like with this, you have a real sense of Quill, like the repeated joke about you know you might know me better as Star Lord, who, or or the bit where he's arrested by John C. Riley's character, who's like, hey, it's a code name. Don't worry, it's not weird. A lot of people have code names. Like, my, it's my, it's what was it? It's my outlaw name. Um, it's his, oh it's his. yeah, that's funny. Yeah, uh, yeah no, nothing uh, weird about it. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, code names are they're they're not so strange, really. But yeah, so you have it's starting to get into Kermit, <laughs> um, Oscar-winning Kermit the Frog. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. But yeah. I, I I have to thank Paul F. Tompkins for 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 Teaching his impression. You. Of um, John C. Riley, I think he he will always when he comes out and stays on. Hey, oh, thanks, that's awesome. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Uh, and very like again, like, this is the issue that exists with the film because there are problems with it and stuff that holds it back. Ronan is one of those issues in that Ronan is not a very good bad guy. He's not a very good. He's one of those stereotypical stock generic Marvel bad guys in that. He like he's there and he has a motivation that's delivered through exposition, but he's not really a character. No, I I I, th- I think like um, it's it it works well in the sense that you're able to kind of um, like his sort of um, uh, villainy is 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 something that the that the movie kind of like makes fun of. They they. They, they they build his kind of um, character to the extent that they do in very sort of hackneyed um, uh, ways, you know? Well, it's all very it, stock villainy one yeah, like He's introduced exactly. giving a big villainous speech and executing a dude with a hammer with like a little drain of blood that goes into the center of the ship for some reason that doesn't look hygienic at all. Yeah, and it's like the Guardians mate. <laughs> They'll never stop me now. This will be their last. It's very, <laughs> very skeletor Kind of, yeah. <laughs> he jumps up out of um, the, the, the... The slime at the, the end slime of the movie. And then says, um, what is it again? The skeletor from from um, uh, another of the galaxy. It's not I'll be back. Is it? It's something along those lines. Is it I think it might be I'll be back. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to go to the fact machine and check? Perhaps we will go to the fact machine. And we're back from the fact machine. 
So uh, and another of the um uh, and then um so uh, noun of the um, noun uh, prepositions um noun noun yeah where 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 the where the where where the first noun is a group of people <laughs> and the second, and the second noun is, is a, a celestial yeah, yeah yeah cosmological entity so um masters of the universe yes where it's the line I'll be back. <laughs> right, that's it's, what he sounds like, right? No. <laughs> um, and it's um, it's Langella. It's Frank it Langella. It is indeed having yeah. the time of his life. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, again, this is the thing with, with Ronan, where again, like Ronan is, and it, he feels very much, again, all the it's one of those stock complaints in the Marvel movies, that all their villains seem kind of samey. And even though, like, it's weird that, like, he's given this big motivation where he's avenging the, like, death of his father and his grandfather in this war between Xandar and the Kree people and so on and so forth. And interesting enough, he'll be appearing in Captain Marvel. Um, but he's... Who? Um, Ronan. Ronan. Ronan will run the Accuser. Yeah, we got him before he had that big... Rec- it was a really great guest. That was a great get for us. We got him sort of between Marvel films, I think. You know? Ooh. When we had Ronan. Oh right, yeah. The, 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 um, but he he um, in the Marvel universe, not in our own universe, but in the Marvel universe, isn't he killed at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy? Yes, Captain Marvel is a prequel. It's a prequel set in the nineties. In the nineties, okay. Um, but- and that's why it's a pager. <laughs> It's, it's not that she's a Baltimore drug dealer. <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, so, um, but yeah, Ronan will be appearing in that. But yeah, even even like Ronan gets this motivation where he's like, I will avenge my people, the Cree people, etc. Is she like, a doctor on call? <laughs> <laughs> but even then, um, Ronan has this sort of thing where he's like, uh, you know, at the end he becomes this stock nihilistic villain where he's like, people, I come to deliver you from life. Yeah. Which is a very strange thing to say for a genocidal maniac, unless you're like that special generic sort of nihilistic sort of thing. Ooh, child. <laughs> Things are gonna get easier. Ooh, child. I don't know another lyric to the song. <laughs> very good. But yeah. um your big turd blast. <laughs> thank you, Andrew. But yeah, Ronan is, again, he's one of those stock generic characters. Um, but yeah, he, he just... And I don't know if it's an issue because it means that the film has more time to focus on the heroes, but it does get to the other problem with the film, which is that Ronan is just a lackey for Thanos, who is this guy Except who... Except he's not. Everybody is turning on Thanos. Yeah, Thanos needs more sort of like better management skills, I think. Yeah, like, like aside from like the, the kind of crew that he has in um, Infinity War, yeah, seem seem fairly kind of invested in 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 staying with him, but it, like, but yeah, one of the big issues with sort of Guardians of the Galaxy is the fact that so much of it exists to tie into the movies around it, right? Like, as in, like you have this whole big exposition monologue about the Infinity Stones, which is stuff that doesn't actually matter for the purpose of this movie. They're just MacGuffins. You have entire sequences with James, uh, Josh Brolin, James, sorry, Josh Brolin, uncredited. Uh, is he uncredited as Thanos? Yeah, I believe so. According okay. to, or according to the, the what do you call that? The IMDb. <laughs> the, what, what, what's that? That thing we do a podcast on. But yeah, so like, um, but yeah, he sees, basically Thanos exists in a scene to set up a movie that's not going to be released for another five years or four years at this point. And the movie sort of takes all these detours. 
And it sort of invests in these things as if you're meant to care about them, even though Do they we... don't add anything to this particular plot. No. So when 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 does Thanos manage to 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 get the uh, what stone was this, by the way? I don't know. I actually don't know off the top of my head what stone this was. It's the purple one. It is the purple one. Um, do you want me to the... do you want me to go to the fact machine and check which stone this was? Um, no, no, that'll be our homework for our listeners <laughs> who will who will who will tweet us what stone. But this but was. this is the thing. We just like... lost a lot of nerd crap. We, we did. Uh, um, but the, the issue with we the... did. <laughs> I, okay. I don't know if I lost any. Um, but the issue with the I don't know the if is... I had any. Dad. The issue with the stones though is that none of them have any real difference in power because they're all just MacGuffins that are like apocalyptic in scale. So like the stone, the tesseract. What is the difference between the tesseract? And say the the stone here, or the stone that's used in say Thor: The Dark World as the ether. What's the difference in what they do? Like in those movies, they're all just weapons of mass destruction in a very generic way. Right. Like all they do is destroy things. None of them actually like. I mean, have the, any the, real impact? It's the only... time stone in um, Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange has. Um... It does actually. To be fair, it does yeah. have a different. It has an ability that's specific to it. But I mean, you're looking at stuff like, say, the space gem, the reality gem. Out. By that point in sort of the development, yeah, it, it's kind of it is a little strange, a little jarring, and it feels like you could shave a good 10, 15 minutes off and streamline the plot if you didn't have to have the Thanos stuff in there. Like, if you didn't have, and again, I love his rocket chair. His rocket chair is pretty amazing, right? It feels oh, like uh, Thanos is. Thanos yes. is ro- like where he he doesn't like attach the arms to the chair. He's just like no, 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 no. I I just want a chair that like where the seat, the back, and the arms are completely disconnected and just float relative to one another. Like in order to be Thanos, it's good for my posture. You have like one of those kind of um, uh, videos. It's like okay, hey, hey, everyone on YouTube. Um, a lot of people have been asking me about kind of how I how I how I stay in shape, what my what my normal uh, uh, daily routine is like. Um, depending on what planet I'm on, I generally go to uh, sleep around eleven p.m. <laughs> um, and then I'm up at four and I'm at it. Those productive hours between five and seven, that's when I get to the gym. This sort of, uh, you see this? Between four and five see, is family uh, slash meeting time. Yeah, and it's not negotiable. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, uh, um, yeah, and you just have to, you, you have to work. You have to work. I'm in the office. I'm sitting on my floating chair from nine o'clock on. Yeah. And, 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 and that is, uh, that is uh, meeting with Ronan. That is meetings with Loki. Um, Appointing uh, new voice of Thanos. Yeah. Uh, training those Warrens and Darians. Yeah. Training those big giant like uh sort of space whaley things. Yeah. I mean well this is this is the thing with interestingly enough, um and again this is something I think Guardians does very well that the other Marvel movies would do well to emulate. The supporting cast here, like I actually care a surprising amount about like John C. Riley's character. And even uh Peter Sar uh, Peter Sar- again I'm not gonna <laughs> you do, let's not God try Darren. that. Yeah, let's You're- not try that. Like I think even people who do a good job of it um, don't um, don't don't get it quite right because it's either Peter Serafinovich or Peter Serafinovich. Um, so did uh, Peter S. Yeah. So like Denarian Saul. There we go. Denarian Saul. I was watching the movie and then wrote down Denarian Saul and spelt it correctly. I know when the credits came, there was a little cheer so from Andrew's corner of the sofa. But like those characters, I actually care about a great deal, and it's kind of really sad that like when I was watching Infinity War 
and you discover that Thanos destroyed Xandar off-screen. Like, well, he brutally massacred John C. Riley and his family, and they all yeah, died off-screen. Well, and- the, I was going to ask that. What happens to Xandar that, then that he gets this um, Infinity Stone? He just wipes them all out. And off-screen as well, yeah. Off-screen? Yeah, there's a line of dialogue in, um, there's a line of dialogue in Infinity War that, like, they... Thor's convoy got a distress message from Xandar and they were intercepted by Thanos when he was coming back from Xandar. That's why he had one Infinity Stone when he started the film. But like it was just dealt with off screen. Um, so like Glenn Close is dead. John C. Riley's dead. Death of all the Asgardians as well. Yeah. All the characters that like everybody fought to save in this film. And this is kind of like interesting. When and we... in Thor Ragnarok. And Thor Ragnarok as well. Yeah, it, it does seem kind of pointless, doesn't it? Yeah. It, like, again, I don't want to like say... something that I really didn't like about Infinity War. They, they, it's like it's like the, the start of um, Alien 3. Oh, where the characters that you cared about are dead. Yeah, that have been saved at the end. Like the... the, the um, the um the the child and um, um Newt, Newt and yeah. and uh, Hicks is it? Um, is there Newt and is there maybe some kind of an animal who's also dead? <laughs> bishop. Um, there is a bishop who is dead. But yeah, I mean that that's the thing is that like again and that all happens off screen. But again, my issue with Infinity War is more that I care about the deaths that happened off screen more than I care about the stuff that happens on screen. Because you know that the characters are going to come back anyway. It's like, I know John C. Riley's not going to come back. And that's kind of sad, because that little scene at the end yeah, of the film he, where he hugs he, his family. He's just been promoted from Corpseman to Denarian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is Denarian his name or his rank? No, it's his rank. Oh, okay. It's his rank, man, because he, he went from being Corpseman Day to Denarian Day. Ah. Replacing Denarian Sal. Wow. Oh, so, yeah. So, so. <laughs> but hey, yeah. Sal. I mean, like, you work so hard, you put in the hours, and then you just get killed off screen in a massive cosmic crossover. It's really disappointing. You can't be a Denarian all, <laughs> all your life, so you gotta think of your family. And worth noting as well, actually, because I went back. This is, again, this is the first time I've watched this movie in years. Um, I was kind of t- staggered by, like, the climax of the film. I remember this being, like, a happy bubbly kind of mostly cheerful film and there's a lot of violence in there and a lot of it's i actually quite like because a lot of it is very slapstick like you have a lot of people being thrown against you know surfaces very bluntly you have that sequence where like uh groot sort of impales everybody and drags them around you have a scene like at the start where peter quill like evaporates everybody except the named character digimon houston's character um like casually as if it's no big thing like, the level of slapstick violence in there, I, I actually... He evaporates them, does he? They're gone. Like, they're scorch marks on the ground, aren't they? Oh, wait. No, yeah. You, you, you might be right. I, I was thinking of it a bit later. Where, where he they, magnetizes they them. Yeah, no, they're, they're fine. Yeah, but no. it's the guys around him who get sort of, like, vaporized. Um, and again, like, I... There's, the, there's Yondu using his little dart. To massacre all of those soldiers as well, which is great. It's a really great sequence. I kind of... Yeah, I think we... I've already probably spoken enough... About how much I like Yondu in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. But yeah, M- Michael Rooker is great. And again, oh, that's, that's another example of like gun carrying over actors from like his, his weird films. Like Nathan Fillion has a cameo in this. And yeah. Fillion would have worked with him on, say, Super, for example. Uh, he worked with him on other films as well. But like the thing, I quite like the slapstick level of violence here. It seems like, again, it's, it's very dark comedy. Like there's a moment where I think 
like even Gamora grabs the guy in the control room and Groot throws him out and you just hear a clang as he hits the wall off screen. And then him falling. Yeah, as well. And it's like that dude is definitely dead. Yeah, you hear that like he's hit a wall then he fell forward, slid over a railing yeah. <laughs> and dropped another kind of say 20 to 30 feet. Yeah, there's no way that guy is alive. You hear and, him like, oh. Yeah, and, and again, like I kind of like that the movie owns that level of almost cartoon violence as opposed to like keeping it off screen or being like well there was a big explosion you can assume the people died this is like no 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 we're fairly explicit that most of these people died but at the same time yeah but like that's that's what that's what they have to kind of um that's what they've signed up for it they're 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 the 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 Kevin Bacon's here and and they understand that that's what's kind of like entailed in any Kevin Bacon story, uh, is that level of violence. Um, but yeah, just in terms of that, the climax of the film though, because I was taken aback rewatching it at how much urban destruction and how sort of much of oh like, yeah, this is the nine eleven trauma sort of ravagers being killed and all of the Zandarians being killed the, and ships crashing into the surface. About, about Xandar and Zandarians is that there's no there's no one way that a Zandarian looks like. Yes, they're like red and green and they look like humans sometimes and they have the skin. They look like the collector's assistant sometimes. Yeah. Which is quite nice. Like, again... They're, 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 uh, so they're, 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 not, they're not like a specific race. They're, they're a people who have a, 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 like almost kind of shared cultural values. Yes, which is, again, maybe speaks to that idea of family coming together. The idea that maybe even the Zandarians are, are like a fan and, family. Yeah, and, and, and the problem that, that Ronan has, it's not, it's not that he has a sort of like a racism. It's their kind of, it almost implies that it's like their inclusivity. <laughs> it's and what bothers is, him. Yeah. Well, again, like, again, and again, it's worth noting that to him, blood is very important. You have, like, the idea of the blood that he collects from his victims, but you even have, like, his emphasis on lineage, himself and his father, and his father's father before Collecting him. Collecting his blood collection, little <laughs> nerd. <Yeah>. Who, am <laughs> yeah. who among us hasn't? He also has this YouTube channel. Yeah. Hey, um, this is um, episode 91, where um, I have some Zendarian blood. This is This is quite a nice one. Um, you can see actually on the uniform here that there's a little decal. <laughs> um, you can read you can read some of the some some of this uniform is frayed, but it's pretty good. Yeah. Um, I mean, but let's people, get to the blood. People have been talking about how accuser seems like overly inflammatory in this modern climate, so I've decided to call myself Ronan the Labeler. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Like, I mean, the thing is, though, like, the climax of the film is very, like, again, that, that weird thing that happens in superhero movies where you replay 9-11 over and over again, where you have, like, ships crashing into buildings. Except ships with crash- better defenses. <laughs> yeah, this time. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that even even this time, like, you have Ronan's ship crashing to Earth and leaving this big trail of destruction. But you have the moment where Ronan's like, yeah, just start dive bombing at the city. Just start randomly ramming stuff on the ground with these airplanes. <laughs> The thing about like like they they, uh, they ought to have arrived um at at Xander before uh before anyone else. And they probably could have also arrived at Xander without a huge fleet of, of warships. I think the thing that slowed <laughs> Ronan, uh, down. Ronan down was that he had this big 
kind of, um, <laughs> if he just got on like a private plane with there, there's no kind of uh, there's no sense in which a thing needs to be um, I think they're discovering this now where they're engineering things for space that don't need to be aerodynamic presumably yeah. his um, spaceship could have gotten there just as quickly as any kind of like sleek looking thing yeah um, <laughs> but but he like the fact that he sent Gamora there and she was just like, like, it's not difficult to get to, um, to Xandar. To Xandar. Or to people, get onto Xandar. People yeah. know, knew who Gamora was to the same extent that they know who Ronan, who Ronan is. is. Yeah, daughter of Thanos. He could have just been like, um, uh, let's, let's get to Xandar and let's get quickly. And as soon as I get there, um, I might, I might have like a small gathering. It's, it's not going to be like a, a, a big thing. Um, we'll we'll certainly record it, but I'm just going to place down my staff on the planet I, and blow yeah, it up. Announce I'm killing everyone. Yeah, it doesn't. Uh, we 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 really don't want to make a big thing of this. And also, kind of, um, how how does everybody get there before? Um, uh, Ronan, before despite Ronan, the Ronan, knows, despite that Ronan set off, and um, Ronan's going first. straight there. Yeah, yeah. Like Ronan doesn't have to have twelve percent of a plan. Yeah. Ronan's like, no, I got a hundred percent of a plan. I know exactly where I'm going with this gigantic stick. It's very gonna... straightforward for Ronan. It's yeah. like get to the planet, blow it up. Yeah, maybe, maybe like again, it's weird that he takes the time out to call Thanos beforehand. Uh, but you know, just I like that you know he sort of do these things properly. That was perhaps his mistake. Yeah, because a lot of the time was spent kind of on hold, wait and get through to Thanos because Thanos has that schedule that we talked about. Yeah, it's like I'm sorry, I'm on the line with Loki at the moment. Uh, would you mind holding? <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just I wonder what his hold music's like. But again, it's it's that weird nine eleven imagery. I did like though that the climax with Rocket, where Rocket protects the planet, is Space Invaders. Stop them from reaching the surface of the planet and just start firing upwards oh, yes. at the ships as they're yeah, coming yeah, down. Yeah. Which again is very similar it's to like Space Invaders, except you see the people's eyes <laughs> when they're <laughs> being blown up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When they there's like the one of the Ravagers ships is 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 blown up and you see him die. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or you see Gamora hopping into one and throwing out the pilot. Right. Um. That sorry, not Gamora. Nebula. Apologies. Nebula. Yeah. But yeah, like again. Uh, but you have that weird. Like again, this is the thing where superhero movies seem to be replaying nine eleven over and over again. To even the point where you're doing one that is set in space that has like one scene set on Earth at the start, and it's still replaying that weird trauma. Yeah. And again, like we talked about this in the, before on the podcast, like Infinity War, where you have the like Gamora is killed by throwing her from twin towers. Like there's literally just a giant monument with two gigantic towers in it. Thanos throws her from them and kills her. And it again, the recurring motif of the hole in the sky over New York City in movies like Avengers, but also in Infinity War and like Out of the Shadows and stuff like that as well. And it, it's it's kind of, it's interesting to see that even here, even in this sort of like bright space opera sort of Star Wars inspired thing, you still have the 21st century superhero movie stuck reliving that trauma. And it's kind of ties back a bit to that stuff I was talking about Quill, where Quill is... This young man who's like stuck in an arrested development because he hasn't processed that trauma. The really nice dovetail of like having to take, um, having to take Gamora's hand when he couldn't take his mother's own hand. And how that represents like some growth or a completion of a journey for him. How he's finally able to unwrap the present that she gave him and move on. Yeah, did you're uh, talking about them being stuck in in Arrested Development? Are we talking about the first movie or the second? That's a fair point. Uh, and again, like that's the problem with these sequels: the characters end up stuck in. The, yeah, you 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 have um, um, uh, Tobias Funke, <laughs> <laughs> who's um, 
It was a, do you not remember that from... Uh, you're not familiar with the show Arrested Development. No, I've never seen it. I, I was using it as a phrase rather than a... Yeah, a, but no, no, I know, I, 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 I know you are. Oh, it's hilarious... It's um, David Cross, is it? Uh, misunderstanding, yes. Yeah, David yeah. Cross he's, character. He's the, he's the guy who paints himself he's blue. Cut, yeah, he's the cut-off jeans that are yeah. in the collector's... Um, uh, you're not aware of this. No. No. In 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 when we visit the collector in um, Oh yes, he appears in there painted blue. Yes, yes he does. Yeah. Or is it in, in uh Infinity uh, Or in Guardians too. Yeah. But he's in there with Howard the Duck. Anyway. He's in there with yeah, Howard. Yeah, we have Howard the Duck played by Seth Green. Which is a nice little role. And then finally it just is it worth noting as well the No. <laughs> whatever it is okay fine um, no go for it no just like in terms of like we talked about this movie sort of predicting pop culture and stuff like that the weird fixation it has with nostalgia because this was one of the times i remember this was the point at which i realized blockbuster cinema was becoming fixated on the past as a thing like the the idea of like the arrested development again you have like the idea of chris pratt going on afterwards to do like jurassic world the belated sequel to jurassic park sequels the rumors that he's going to be doing indiana jones replacing possibly harrison ford but like this idea of like a character who is stuck in the past and stuck in this nostalgia and reliving this old thing and sort of like playing these this old music from the 70s that he got from his mother on this awesome mixtape but playing it over and over and over again a future where he's playing a tape deck for example but, like, the idea that, like, because it was around this time that you started getting stuff like the belated sequels to Star Wars. The way, where the way just, he makes Yondu smile at the end is... is with a troll. The production of the troll, yeah. Yeah, for his little dashboard, which is very cute. But it, it just, I, I've always found that kind of interesting, because Guardians of the Galaxy was one of the first times that I really noticed that, like popular cinema eating itself sort of way because i mean like you have that dialogue throughout where he's making and again this is maybe a a hallmark of like joss whedon's influence in the marvel universe but like where he's talking about the orb and he's saying it had a real sort of maltese falcon like raise the lost ark ark of the covenant feel to it and he's talking to a bunch of aliens who have never seen any of these things who have no frame of reference to it but who seem to understand it because he's talking in pop culture references to a culture that they don't know obviously later on he explains footloose but you know it's that sort of weird Aspect Mary Poppins of, in the yeah. second. But that's... Ah, uh, Mary Poppins! Um, but yeah, that's sort of like weird thing at no. which everything becomes referential even when it doesn't make sense for it to be. And I kind of like... I think it works here because he's a he's a kid. He's still a kid that he was in 1988, you know? But I think that it's kind of... This was one of the moments where I realized that pop culture was kind of eating itself. But I think... Is there anything else we want to talk about? I think... No. Um, like, I... I um... Enjoyed the kind of maroon uniforms to to cherry bomb. I was thinking maroon, and it's like, oh no, they are cherry. Yeah, they're 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 all kind of like all of a sudden they've also had time to tailor to, their uniform. Tailor uniform. That was a really long call with Thanos. Tailor it well enough. Like, um, I I guess he's a raccoon. Yeah. And probably is like try putting a leather like uniform on a raccoon but it is kind of like scratching his yeah. genitals a bit trying to get the stretch right i also quite like the way the gun does that shot where like they're all they're all in it's meant to be a big hero shot but you have like gamora yawning for example and you have like drax like completely his attention wandering rocket scratching his is yeah junk. Yeah, which is a nice sort of subversion of that like again i like that like despite the fact this is a super they don't know what it is yeah Peter knows what it is. Yeah. Like, and he's trying to kind of... Um, Cultivate that sort of yeah. thing. Like, again, this is the heroic don't moment. don't know what they're doing. Yeah, which is nice. And I like that. I like that aspect of it. And again, I like the 
that moment where Rocket says to Drax, like, the moment where after Drax has summoned Ronan and Ronan to nowhere, and they've, like, lost everything, and Groot pulls Drax out of the pool, and he's like, I was trying to avenge my wife and daughter, and, like, <laughs> Rocket's response to that is, boo-hoo! Um, and he's like, we all got dead people. Uh, which is, you know, which is very cynical. You laugh, though, Groot, to be fair. Groot's kind of holding his mouth. I yeah. think you laugh more. I did laugh more. I enjoyed that Laika was <laughs> was there um, in the collector's um, kind of um, collection of belongings. Laika, the Soviet dog. Oh, yeah. Well, it's actually, yeah. Um, the Cosmo, the space dog, I think Graham will appreciate if he's listening. Um, the actual, there's a comic book character that's based on... That that's an allusion to. Well, I'm glad because Graham appreciates. Because of course there is. All right, so I think that about wraps it up from us. Unless there's anything else. No, no, I, 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 um, I don't think I, I, I don't think I have anything else. No, no. All right, uh, we'll be back next week, where hopefully we'll be doing for St. Patrick's Day covering room with the great guys over at when Irish eyes are watching. Or we'll be doing another move. Yeah, any possibility. Anything will work. But in the meantime... Maybe it'll be something in a random number generator. Um, we'll put in in post. But uh, if uh, people are looking for a bit more Andrew in their lives, where can they find you? Online. And if... Uh, perfect. And you can follow the podcast at, at the 250 We're available on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, on iTunes. Wherever good podcasts are not sold. Take it easy, guys. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Don't you know-